Hello and thank you for listening to episode 416 of 60MW and the entertainment show for, <gasps> takes a deep breath, July, August, September, October, November and December 2021. I'm Dave and finally nestling in my ears once again and yours of course, it's Chris. Hello, hello, how are you? This is weird. <laughs> We haven't recorded for so long. It's been a bit mad, hasn't it? Yeah, we've not recorded one of these since June last year, mate. And and how are you doing? I'm I'm doing better than I was in June. I'm doing better than I was just a few months ago, which is good. Yeah, after yes. a, an enforced hiatus that uh, the podcast and everything took. Yeah, Slo- slowly getting there, mate. Not 100%, yeah. but yeah, getting getting there. Getting better every day, yes. Yeah. No, I, well, when you said I was nestled in your ears, I was going to thought you were going to say I was nestled in your bosom or something like that. <laughs> but um, this is a first as well because we're actually we can see each other. I um, I purchased a webcam at Christmas. So I'm not going to tell you why. Uh, I thought I might try and make a bit of money on the side or at least convince <laughs> Kay to get her boobs out for the internet. Um, but um, no, we can see each other, can't we? This is cool. I'm gonna I'm gonna take a picture of us while we record for me to oh tweet gosh. later. Here we go. There. Don't do that. <laughs> Don't want to break the internet. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Yeah. So this is wicked. This is very cool. Um, so yes, I, I've got you as a little um, corner of my screen, and I can see you. Okay. I mean, you've done video interviews before, haven't you? You've got it all professionally set up. Whereas I've got like a well, as I've said to you, I'll, I've got a, a shitty little webcam um, sat on a shitty old table. <laughs> Just, uh, you know, so um, there yeah. you go. Here I am. Hooray. Yeah. Well, Nobody I, else can see that. <laughs> I haven't. I, I clicked the view button and put, put it onto gallery, mate. So we're, we're sharing the screen between both of us. Wow. It's, there ha- we go. it's half and half. Uh, and I was um, commenting just before we started recording that there, there is actually, uh, there are things you can do to your camera and all sorts. So, um, or, or to your video, I should say. So uh, you can sharpen yourself or you can, you can de-age yourself, which is kind of cool. Mm. Um, it's a bit weird, but yeah, it's all, it's good. Cause they, obviously they, they just been experiment there, experimenting with that in movies, haven't they? They de-age Samuel L. Jackson and, um, what with the other people, uh, Robert De Niro, and mm-hmm. out of the that film I haven't watched yet, still The Irishman because it's too long. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> I will watch it. I say that I watched The Hateful Eight. I mean, God, that's nearly three fucking well, that's hours long. long. Yeah, but um, no, it's weird because obviously I said uh, on the trophy show that I did with uh, Pete, Tom, and Wayne that it was I felt for the first time in ages like a bit nervous, uh, you know, you'd think after recording so many podcasts over the years that the, uh, the nerves would be gone. But I think it's just because we haven't recorded in so long. Yeah. Not that I'm nervous about talking to you, but it's just, you know, it's the first one of these shows for a number of months. So it's there's been, an expectation yeah. to perform. <laughs> so it's a bit, oh, no. you know, I feel like I'm, oh, no. I'm a bit of a porn star on my first day at That's the job. <laughs> I don't oh. know where I'm going with this analogy. <laughs> Suffering from performance anxiety. Shit. <laughs> I know, I need to, you know, take a little blue pill or something. And that was it. And there was you fiddling with the camera, trying to get your wrinkles out at the beginning, as you just said. It's all, yeah, it's all piecing together now. I know, <laughs> it's, it, yeah, it's tragic, isn't it, really? Sort of, I'm, I mean, I'm, you know, 45, so I, I, it's, yeah, tragic that I have to resort to such things. But still, nobody's going to see it other than you, so. No. Well, this is it. Well, we should say that we're testing out 
uh, the cameras and everything because tomorrow we're going to record an interview show with James Pax, aren't we? Which is good because it comes hot on the heels of the show that you did with Adam about Big Trouble in Little China. Yes, and I've listened back to that today, um, believe it or not. Not just for that reason, but I, I you know, I always listen because I'm a massive narcissist. So I always listen to the shows that I'm on. I listen to all the shows, but I, I particularly listen to the shows that, that I record because, you know, editing them and then once you put all the inserts in, you, it's like you want to listen to the full full thing, don't you? Yeah, yeah. So, um, no, and I, I hope he doesn't listen to it um, before we record because when we were talking about the three storms and he plays lightning, uh, which it was, uh, I think Adam and I agreed when we were kids, that was probably our coolest storm. Oh yeah. Um, but we all agreed because he's got no dialogue in the movie mm-hmm. and he just makes this kind of like, you know, grunting noise, um, which sounds like he's having a massive shit. Um, <laughs> so it's kind of, I hope he doesn't listen. Cause like we just described him every, every time he comes on screen and he's got these, like he's having a, big dump so um but you know you can tell him to his face tomorrow mate <laughs> oh yeah that'll be good you know that I'll, I'll make sure we finish the interview or at least we get to the end of the interview before i say that um i'll say the coolest storm but then i'll leave out the bit about the shitting perhaps you know because we don't want him to walk out after no you know a minute so <laughs> You're the coolest storm it sounds like you're having a massive dump and you've got constipation so Never mind. It'll be good, mate. Looking forward to it. Yes, it is. And it's cool. I can see all of your stuff in the background. And, you mm. know, it's you can sh- see my shitty back. <laughs> see all my shit, uh, which I'll have to tidy up a little bit before tomorrow, because I'm sure James will be very impressed with. I've just, I've just, mine was all here on the bed and I've just like scooped it onto the floor. So nobody can see it when the camera's yes. on. That's the secret. Just chuck it all on the floor. Yeah. yeah. But this isn't your first podcast recording is it because you've done a couple of interview shows and um but yeah it's good to have you back in the swing of things yeah it's, it's good to been... be back recording i i went just over three months without recording a show which was a bit weird because this year you're the same mate it's me and tom and you and the rest you know the same coin guys it's our 10th anniversary this this year of podcasting jeez i didn't realize that at all mm. bloody hell 10 That's years in june crazy mm. flipping heck Wow, <laughs> that's yeah. a lot of podcasts. It is, and then of course later in the year, September, it'll be the eighth birthday of Sixty MW. That's still that's I, I can still picture it now, sit, sitting in my little man cave playing pure pool, and um, you know you asking, sure, I've got this idea for a, another entertainment show. Do you fancy joining? So, God, eight years ago, flipping heck. I sort of measure everything by the, the age of my children now because, you know, the time just goes by, doesn't it, you know, uh, as you get older. So it's like you kind of measure how old your kids are as to when you started something or yeah. when, th- you know. So, God, like Lucy was one. <laughs> Lucy wasn't even born when we uh, when I first started podcasting. Uh, she was born the first year that I started podcasting. So, yeah, she's, she's nine and a half. Yeah, mental. That's crazy. It goes too quick. Before you know it, mate, it'll be the 20th anniversary of podcasting. How about that? That would be really awesome, to be fair. I mean, you know, just, um, I, I must admit, I, sometimes I kind of like, I wake up in a bit of cold sweat because I think at some point Dave might turn around and say, I've had enough for this now. And I'd be like, well, what am I going to do? <laughs> so, oh, 
who, go, who am I going to talk to? You know, I can't be bothered to set my own podcast up because that's too much like hard work. I'll have to, I'll so have it's to, like, I'll have to bequeath you know, it to you, mate. I'll just have to bequeath it to you. I'll write it in into into my like will and testament, or whenever I just stop, I'll go. I hand the reins over. We'll have to do it in some overly dramatic fashion, like in a film. <laughs> here you yeah. are, here you are, son. It's all yours now. <laughs> <laughs> well, that'll be the day the podcast ends or breaks, probably, <laughs> because I'll just be like, I don't know how to update the website. <laughs> what do I do? You think I'd have learned by now, but, um, you know, no, it's cool. It's very good, you know. Um, come, well, probably this year we'll be d- releasing our 500 show. I think we will, yeah. I, I'm pretty sure we will by the end of uh, end of the year. We'll hit 500 shows. Flippy Nick. Yeah, when you think, what is it still? I think most podcasts uh, finish before episode, I think it's episode 10 or something ridiculous. So to hit 500 will be quite a feat. I was saying to uh, Adam the other day, because we recorded our latest Spotlight movie reflection show, which was on the stuff, uh, that uh, we've been, this is our third year doing that. I mean, that's kind of crazy as well, that we've been recording those for like three years. Um, So... Yeah, I'm not sure exactly when this will be out, but we, there are plans to do an ABCD with Ben Ditz and Adam uh, in the very near future, um, and then some of the new shows coming up. So, yeah, as as we're sat up here, well, I say we. That's because I can see you now. As I'm sat up here and you're sat in your man cave, uh, Tina is downstairs prepping for the next uh, TNA show. So oh, I've, I've been listening to that today. The last one that they did. Um, uh, Fatal Attraction. I'm about an hour and 20 minutes into it, and it's really, really good. Um, very detailed and entertaining. Uh, it's, you know, Amy brings all of the the sort of uh, the detail. Uh, so does Tina, to be fair, but Tina brings a bit of smut as well, I think <laughs> it's fair to say. Uh, but no, really entertaining, really informative. Uh, I must admit, I've only ever seen Fatal Attraction once, I think, when I was younger, because um, it's, you know, famous or infamous for that sort of bunny boiling scene yeah. isn't it so yeah. i can't remember a great deal about it i'm sure there's a sex scene in a lift um i haven't got to that bit in the podcast yet they've just been talking about the sex scene on a sink yeah where yeah. um michael um oh what's his name douglas, douglas. Mm-hmm. he splashes himself with a bit of water because he's 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 <laughs> it's like who does that? You know, it's like, oh, shit. You know, you're shagging away or whatever. It's like, oh, I'm hot. I'm going to splash myself with some water. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's not very romantic, is it? Um, so unless you're actually in the shower, shagging, oh, yeah. I don't different. think you need to be splashing yourself with water, personally. No. Um, you know, it's like reaching for the cu- it's like they're in the kitchen so I just reach for the cupboard oh let's just get an energy drink let's get some red bull i'm knackered yeah uh, you know we'll get some energy gels just hang on a second love um so yeah see uh, to yourself for a minute just carry on and then yeah and off you go but yeah there's loads of shows coming up mate i know uh i'm getting tina back on the gin for another sos show very soon uh me and tom haven't recorded since august so we'll be back with decade of decadent shows there's you know it's all gearing up again slowly so yeah excellent can you give us a sneak preview of the tna or not no okay i can tell you i'll I'll give a world exclusive now (gasps) it's going to be uh near dark oh i've seen that a couple of times uh i know you and tom talked about it didn't you in your decade of decadence Mm -hmm. last year yeah um was it last year or the year before but anyway so i know it's a film close to your heart oh, I love it, one yeah. that you both love so yeah yeah it'll be good because they were going to do 
die hard at Christmas and then the schedule got too, got too busy because everything was gearing up again and there was too many shows to fit in before Christmas so I think they're holding back on that one now till next Christmas awesome i know you gave us a you don't usually use your executive powers but you uh <laughs> you you sent us a, a legal written warning mm. saying you're not allowed to do die hard as your christmas movies so uh we ended up doing gremlins and uh, silent night deadly night oh, so there you go good that choice though mate good choice yeah so there you are no it's awesome being back behind the mic with you it's been far too long and i've had to whittle down my um things to talk about because you know over well it's months and months isn't it i've I've got so many things so i have whittled it down still got quite a lot yeah Um, same here i've whittled mine down i thought well i just need to pick because my original list was way too long so just whittled it down to my absolute favorites since we last recorded uh, and and done it that way really, but yeah, there's still quite a few things. Yes, and and I've got some some things that well, some uh, not just TV and movies. Uh, I've got some audio books as well. So how Ooh. exciting! There you go. Go on then, start with them. Then let's start. Have a change. Start with some audio books. So here we go. So as I'm sure you can imagine, uh, being interested in movies and TV, I listen to um, a lot of memoirs or autobiographies or just you know books written by uh, movie stars so uh one that i listened to was um nerd do well by simon pegg uh, which is a little bit old now i think it came out in 2010 so you know there's obviously a lot that's happened the mission impossible movies being one so it would be nice to have an updated version yeah but I like Simon Pegg, you know, I liked him ever since uh, I saw him in Space and you oh, know, yeah. Shaun of the Dead, Rewatch Shaun of the Dead uh, last year, which I absolutely love. And um, yeah, so, but it's 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 a fun, entertaining book. It's only about three and a half hours long, um, but he, he writes it in such a style that it's, he's actually written a story. And, and so in between each chapter where he's talking about his life, there's actually a story that he's, he's, and it's really funny as well. So um, that, that, that's cool. Enjoyed that. Uh, listen to if chins could kill confessions of a B movie actor. Guess nice. who that's about. It's not a uh, Bruce Campbell, is it? <laughs> it is. There you go. Um, which again, it's a fairly old book, but it's been updated um, with little bits with for the audiobook version. Um, and again, really enjoyable. Um, Bruce Campbell actually um, does it as well, narrates it. So there's lots of stories about how he got into acting and the Evil Dead, Evil Dead Two, um, in Xena. Uh, you know, all of those Hercules, all of those things. So. Um, that was then followed up by uh, Hail to the Chin, Further Confessions of a B-Movie Actor, <laughs> which is a bit more about his more recent uh, movie career uh, and also um, his time on TV show Burn Notice, which I've never actually watched, but I've, I fancy watching it after you know listening to him talk about it. Yeah. Uh, and but Yeah, so I prefer the first book, if I'm being honest, because like I said, it's, I'm more interested in his early career because that's when I got into... You know, Bruce Campbell. Yeah, but yeah. Uh, no, both are entertaining. But I would the one that I would recommend out of all of them, I guess, uh, and you, one that you'll be interested in is by Burt Reynolds. And it's Ooh. called But Enough, Enough About Me, a memoir. Um, and it came out in, um, I think it was 2016. And you can tell that, when did Burt Reynolds die? Just It was... Oh, was it two or three years ago? 
No, was, was it, it? Or was it more? Uh, let me have a little. It doesn't look. seem but, that long ago. It, yeah. So, but you, he narrates it, and you can tell that the, the certain parts of it where he does sound very frail. Yeah. Um, and you know, it's all about his life, and you know how he got into acting, about his childhood, about his parents. Uh, 2018. There you go. So a couple of years after this book came out, he actually passed away. So. Mm-hmm. I think that was what makes it a bit more poignant because of uh, knowing that he's coming towards the end of his life and it's actually him reading, uh, you know, uh, the, the book uh, about his life and his marriage marriages and his children a little bit, but, you know, about deliverance and posing nude for Playboy <laughs> um, and actually how he regretted doing that, um, you know, uh, you know, and how it affected perhaps his, his movie career, a little bit about smoking bandit movies and all those other things. So, yeah. um, you know, his stunt work. Um, so it's really good, really enjoyable. Like I said, it, it's a bit longer than, I mean, because some of them, I mean, some of the audio books that you get, I mean, that they're like 18 hours long or something ridiculous. Oh but, you know, you usually break it up into bite-sized bits, as I do a lot of running, as we all know. Um that's when I tend to listen to a lot of audio books. So, uh, but no, that was really good. Um, one of the highlights, I guess, like I said, and, and uh, it, it's, it, I haven't watched it yet, but it is on my to watch list. Um, the last movie star, which you've uh, often talked about. Yeah. In yeah. Terms. No, I think I've recommended it on one of these shows in the past. Absolutely love that movie. I've watched it three times up to now. And yeah. every time I watch it, it makes me laugh. It, it you know, tears me up a little bit. Um, of course, did an interview show with the director, Adam Rifkin. So if people want to go and listen to that, he talks about a little bit about The Last Movie Star as well. That's one of the films that we talk about. It's a terrific movie, yeah. Definitely one to watch. Yeah. So, um, yeah, th- those are some of the um, audiobooks that have been keeping me entertained, like mo- entertainment-wise, like in terms of movies and hmm. TV and various bits and pieces. So, But there you go. I'll pass it over to you. I've got one YouTube recommendation. Ooh, uh, I like these. It's a six-parter, six 40-minute parts power on the story of xbox oh i watched that over christmas did you watch yes. it it is amazing i loved it now the first i think three or maybe four episodes concentrates on the original xbox but of course there's a lot to tell about the development of it and how they got into the console business and and everything and it a fair play to microsoft it does cover not just their successes the 360 being a highlight but the 360 also being a low light as well with the red ring of death they're not afraid to say about that they're not afraid to talk about with the xbox one and their infamous was it e3 or was it just before e3 when they did the presentation and they're on about tv 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 and they really fucked it up and gamers were going i don't want tv i want video games yeah so they're not afraid to go look we really messed up that time and it's so it's four hours in total i could have happily watched another four hours you know another six episodes of it i thought it was brilliantly done uh it's it's much more than just talking heads and if you're into your video games i think it's an essential watch uh, watch even if you know you're a committed playstation gamer and have never touched an xbox uh, i've seen comments about it from from people who have never had an xbox and have always been playstation or nintendo and they've gone oh my god that that was amazing and fair play to xbox for putting it together it's really it's really really good yeah i totally agree <clears throat> i um uh, i think it was wayne uh or pete uh, tom one of those that told me about it and um 
uh, so I, I watched it because um, the episodes are about 40 minutes 40, each. Yeah. Yeah, so they're not massively long, uh, but I ended up binging it, I think, one of the <laughs> nights, because I'd go to bed and I'd watch it in bed. Um, and I, I was so, like, into it that I, I actually stayed up till, like, quarter to three in the morning. Because oh <laughs> I was like, I think it's always got one episode left. And because I knew that they had Don Matrick on, and for people who um, don't know who Don Matrick is, I think he was the head of Xbox uh, Gaming at the time when the Xbox One was revealed. And you know, packed in connect, which I mean, you think about, I mean, it, it's, it does, it's not that long ago, but it seems so long ago yeah, now, doesn't yeah, it? it? Um, you know, and then which they've changed. I mean, this is the, the breaking news that happened this week of recording is that they've just bought, um, blizzard activision uh you know for 50 billion pounds, something ridiculous. Nearly 70. So, you know, yeah. I think sorry? It, it was nearly 70 billion outrageous oh. amount. It's it's oh unreal. pounds I mean, sorry no it's seventy seventy nearly seventy billion dollars wasn't it which would be yeah, about it. fifty yeah. fifty billion pounds yeah sorry you know and then they I mean uh, what was it three two or three years ago then they, they bought up um, uh, another huge studio that do all the Skyrim games and uh, you know the uh, Bethesda that was it and Zenimax you know for ridiculous amounts of money I think they started off when they bought um, Mojang which made minecraft or does the minecraft games you know and again that you think at the time because we were recording the same coin when that came out that was like i don't know it's like three billion yeah. and we, we were like that's a ridiculous amount of money and now it's like oh let's just spend 70 million dollars uh, 70 70 billion dollars so you know that to look at that documentary when they started about you know coming up with the idea and the concept of actually making a console um, and, you know, what Microsoft were at the time, their corporate business, which was all about Windows 95, you know, and, and it was, you don't necessarily, you, you didn't associate Microsoft with video games. Um, one of the things I learned from it was, you know, because you, you see Bill Gates and you think, oh, he, he looks quite a cute and cuddly geek. He's actually right, old bastard. <laughs> Sounds like he is, or at least was. Yeah. 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 Um, so, but no, it was really compelling. Like I said, I never had an original Xbox when it came out. I've got one now, but it's, hmm. it's one of the modded ones, which has got like 13,000 retro games on it. But um, but I never had an, the original Xbox. Um, but everything I'm looking at now, everything about it screams just, it's big. The controller's yeah. big, the console's big. It's just like a statement, isn't it? Um, and then, you know, like how forward-thinking and innovative they were with it, but and also then the Xbox 360. And again, like you said about the Red Ring of Death, you know, I think I had about four or five consoles fail on me. Did, how many did you have? I had three that Red Ringed on me. It's crazy. I mean, yeah. I even bought... This is, I mean, you know, because I don't necessarily think it was the fan that we knew or the heating, overheating that was the problem. But, you know, you could buy like custom access accessories. And I even bought like a blocky fan that plugged into the back of it. Um, it was like a third party one. But I, I think I read that they were actually bad for it because they caused it to <laughs> overheat even more. So, um, But then, you know, to be fair to them, how they stepped up and then offered the three year warranties on them and returns and all that kind of stuff. So anyway. Then the all the, the debacle of the Xbox One and to where they are now, I mean, it's a really compelling, interesting journey. I was like 20 years, isn't it? Is it 20, 20 years, yeah. And it's amazing how a handful of people and, their, and the passion of this handful of people got the Xbox going because so many times it, it just was nearly just cock-blocked, wasn't it? And it's like, no, we're, we're not going to do this. We're not going to do this. And then you look 20 years after the launch of it and 
how Xbox is now, and it's oh my god, you know, how easily it could have not been here. You know, some exec went, no, we're not going to do that. That's very silly. Yeah, no, it's it's, it's really cool, and uh, so definitely recommend that as well. Mm. Um, and like I said, there's only six episodes, about yeah. forty minutes, but if you're into gaming, it's kind of almost essential viewing, yeah. really. I think, like you said, regardless of what platform you you currently use um because i know you've got an xbox series x and it's got game pass and you well you love it don't you oh mate it has reinvigorated my gaming uh, i got it in june last year uh through the all access deal so it came with two years of game pass ultimate and oh yeah it's just blown me away with well, of course, with Game Pass and the, the choice of stuff you've got to play on there, but also the way that you can you can play on your phone. And, you know, I can be at work or I could be abroad and then carry on a game, play a game there, and then come home and carry on from the same save of it as well. All the stuff to do with it, the whole Xbox ecosystem is just incredible. Yeah. You know, that's Without even mentioning, you know, the graphics side of it and all of this just the whole meat and potatoes, the ecosystem, and the sheer amount of games that they've got now. And, of course, with them buying the studios, they're going to have a lot more first-party stuff too. Yeah, it makes you wonder. It's like, you know, you kind of think people laughed at Microsoft, didn't they, for their cloud Hmm. talk when they were talking about the power of the cloud. That was their thing, wasn't it? And everybody laughed at them. And like you said, I mean, um, Wayne and I were in the cinema, and um, he... He's got X Cloud and and um, like you said, he's got a Series X and Game Pass and everything. And he, he got like a custom controller which attaches to his phone. <laughs> and we were, I was playing Streets of Rage four in the cinema, you know, and with his his X, Xbox account, and it's just it was pretty much flawless. You know what I mean? It's it's crazy. I mean, I've got a PlayStation five and I've got Remote Play on that, and that. I mean, it's it doesn't even compare really because I've played, I tried remote play on my phone within the house that the console is in, and it's just it's no contest really. Yeah. So you know, and it's almost if you're thinking, well, you know, we're buying all these these studios, spending so much money. It's like, yeah, now laugh at us, you fuckers. You know, <laughs> <laughs> it's just. Um, but no, it's 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 a very cool documentary. Yeah, very very is. highly recommended. Uh, I am going to go through quickly for tv shows i've got four tv things one of which it doesn't really need much saying about it because this was oh my god this was last year squid game virtually everybody i would think listening to this has watched it i can see you shaking your head (laughs) Uh, but it could be I'm, i'm recommending it because you know sometimes where you get everybody's saying Oh, you've got to watch this. You've got to watch that. And you hear it so many times and you think, oh, fuck that. I'm not going to watch it. It is well worth watching. Uh, There's only nine episodes. It's South Korean and it's violent. There's there's some amazing violence in it. A few times me and Tina went, whoa, that was pretty cool. Uh, But it's good because the really good characters in it and there's characters that you can root for, there's characters that... You know, it's it's like a pantomime villain and you're going, boo, I want you to die and all that. And it's basically a load of people that are playing games to the death until just one of them survives and wins a big amount of money, which is simplifying it a lot. But it was really, really good, as is another South Korean uh, TV series that is also on Netflix. And this is only six episodes long and it's called Hellbound. And I didn't know this until I looked today. Uh, it surpassed 
Squiz, Squiz? Squid Games as the world's most watched TV series. Wow. And this is about an angel that appears just from the ether. It could be at any point to anybody, and it will tell you that you've got X amount of time to live. So it could appear in front of you, Chris, and it could say, Christopher Jellyman, you're going to die in three days from now. And then that's it. And then three days from now, these three beasts from hell appear, um, twat the shit out of you, <laughs> burn you alive, and then your soul gets taken to hell. And there's a really, really good story attached to it and ties in with like the human condition. And, and there's a lot. It's one of those I don't want to say too much about. It took me... I mean, the first episode, I've got to admit, the CG demons did alienate me a little bit. I thought, oh, I'm not sure. Maybe I'd have preferred it if it had been, you know, even a guy in a suit or three guys in suits. But I warmed to them as the series went on. And again, it's only six episodes. But it was the story that really dragged me into it. It was like a cracking story to it. And very often at the end of an episode, it leaves you hanging. I remember one night we watched an episode and it finished and we went, oh my God, we have to sit up later and watch the next episode. We can't leave it at that stage, which is always a good sign of a TV show, I think. Yeah. So yeah, six episodes. I'd recommend that as well, especially if you like Squid Game. Uh, series six of Superstore. Oh, I'm glad you mentioned that because that's what we're on. Um, it's come to your, Netflix. I mean, it's taken us what six months or whatever to get through it, but we, based on your recommendation, mm. um, Kay and I have been getting watching them, and, and we're on. We're halfway through series six. Well, this is the last one. It's when like COVID is hit, and so everybody's wearing masks in it. Yeah. Uh, now, I did say I have recommended this in the past, and I did give a caveat that it's not as good as other, you know, these twenty-minute TV shows that we watch, and we've recommended a lot over the, the time that we've been doing these shows. It's not up there with the best of them that we've talked about. And for me, and for Tina as well, we're not into Series 6 at all. And there's a reason for it, which will become even clearer when I talk about the next uh, TV show. But Tina mentioned before Series 6 started, and she picked up on this, that the characters in it, they're not very nice, really. When you look at them as a whole... And you think, would I want to go out for a pint with any of them? Would I want to go out at night and socialise with any of them? They're all quite nasty when you watch what they're saying and doing. And you're going, you're not very nice, really. <laughs> and it's like, oh, okay. Now, this was highlighted greatly because we started watching and we're currently halfway through season six of this. And it's a show that you've recommended loads of times, mate. Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Oh, yes. We've been watching that. Oh, mate, yeah. it, it it is far, far superior to Superstore. It's one of my favourites. I love it. And this, when Tina was saying about how, how horrible the characters are in Superstore, when you compare them to the characters in Brooklyn Nine-Nine, I mean, if you were to go out, say, you know, tomorrow night, you've got a night on the town, a few drinks, meal, would you rather go out with your choice of four characters from Superstore or four characters from Brooklyn Nine-Nine? Oh, Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Like you said, it's, it's a far better, it's far funnier. It's got more... Oh, oh. In Nine-Nine, I think it's great. Like you said, the characters are awesome. 
Hello? Hello. You it's, you were breaking up then. I lost, I lost you. You're back now, though. There was just, there was, you know, one of those, well, it starts, you were saying it's far more, and then you stopped. And I don't know what it was far more. It's shite. No, <laughs> no, no, it's far more, it's, it is a far more superior show uh, to Superstore. I, I'll be honest with you. I, we, we love Brooklyn Nine-Nine. I think there are, it's, you know, there's got more laughs in it. There's yeah. more heart to it. Um, I'm sure I've, I've looked into this before. It's got connections, whether it's the writers or the production team to the good place and the good place has its moments where there are, there are some nice messages. What I love about Brooklyn nine nine is they have like themed episodes, like the Halloween episodes. Oh, you I know, love the Halloween one every year. Yeah. Oh, they're amazing. They're, you know, it's like how they can outdo each other, you know, and how they can get the prize. Who's going to, you know, come up with these wacky, uh, you know, escapades to get the prize, wherever it might be. Um, it's really funny, like you said. The characters, it, uh, there isn't a bad character in um, in Brooklyn Nine Nine. I don't no, think there isn't. Um, no, I, I, we both love like every every character in it. I think is really good and has a, a good part to play in it. And it doesn't matter because sometimes some episodes they concentrate more on, you know, one, two, three specific characters. Some are more ensemble pieces, but it doesn't matter who's involved in the episode. Because I like everybody in it. It's you know it's going to be good. I don't care who's in whatever episode. Yeah, going back to Superstore. I mean, like I said, you you, you recommended it, and I'll, I'll be honest. Oh, the first uh, series, it's got I think it's only a shorter one. It's got thirteen episodes, and we got through it, and we kind of enjoyed it. But mm. then when the second series, we looked at it, and it's like twenty two, twenty three episodes, and I was like, mm, do I like it that much? Mm. So it, we we delayed watching it mainly due to me. But I, you know, kind of we watch a couple of episodes and we leave it for a bit, and then we watch, you know, just I wasn't really kind of getting into it. But then by halfway through series two and then series three, I think it did pick up the pace a bit, and I, I got more into it. There were some genuinely funny moments mm. which I laughed at, and then series four and five i was talking to my mate in new zealand who's also watching it as well and i think we're of the same opinion as you that it's it's my it's kind of more of like you you, you have chuckles every now yeah, and then you yeah. don't laugh out loud you know um i must admit um maybe it's just because i was tired but there is a few episodes where i just found myself drifting off a little bit as well <laughs> um and you know, it. I, I, the one thing I like about this this um, final series, like you said, it's made obviously made when COVID was a thing because they, you know, they comment on it. They, you know, they're wearing masks and all that kind of stuff. Um, there are, you know, kind of some quite witty um, outlooks on the whole thing. You know, because they comment on the, you know, the cleaning things down and all that kind of stuff. You know, and being six feet, uh, you know six feet apart and all all that so you know it, it starts off all right but then like you i think we'd look into the end of it now and I, mm. I, it's just like yeah I, I want something else now um and i think we've only got like six episodes left um and and definitely looking for something new to entertain us you know but it's that perfect length we said before you know just for a, a couple of episodes in the evening with a cup of tea you yeah. know you've had a busy day with the kids or work and, and whatever so you can just put one on it's 20 21 22 minutes long and that's it you know i think so, yeah. we've been recommending these since we started doing the entertainment shows haven't we we've always had sort of this 20 minute program and we've kept finding new ones as the years have gone on so it's always interesting to to see what else will come up but yeah i, w I was glad to 
finish Superstore, I've got to admit. I'm not going to be glad to finish because I know season seven is the, the final one of Brooklyn Nine-Nine. And I is am going to be, yeah. I didn't know that. Oh, no. Yeah, yeah. From from what I read anyway. I mean, maybe it's, I hope it's not. But from what I read, yeah, it's the final one. Wow. Um, which I'm going to be gutted um, about because I, I really, really enjoy it. Yeah, that's a shame. Uh, just going back to Superstore, I think the one th- the kept, thing that kept us going like and was entertaining was the sort of will they won't they you know relationship between mm. jonah and um um what's her name oh, amy yes um you know but then when that kind of all you know happened and whatever i think it just sort of fizzled out a little bit it, and then it's it, it became more about the side characters like Sandra came into it more. And it's like quite like Sandra's quite funny. Um, and then Marcus, you know, these kind of like characters would pop up with a little line of dialogue every now and then became more prominent. Um, so, but no, yeah, it's okay. It's yeah. a six or seven out of 10 kind of show for me. I found that my favorite bits in Superstore, especially as it went on, were almost what you call the B-roll footage, sort of the incidental shots of what was going on in the store. And it, they'd only be, you know, five seconds at most, and it'd be something happening. It'd just cut away to that thing happening. I found them the funniest bits because there were some really, you know, laugh-out-loud moments that they uh, showcased. Because you could, you know, you've seen it happening in shops, and you go, it's funny because it's true. Yeah, yeah. Somebody tasting something and putting it back yeah. or something, you know, <laughs> just doing random things. But yeah, no, it's, uh, there you go. I don't know whether people will watch it now after that. Spotted <laughs> with Dominic with faint praise. Uh, well, I've got, uh, I've got some documentaries and movies left. So I don't know what you've got left. I've got movies. Uh, it's all movies now. Okay, then I'll fly through. I've got four documentaries. I'll fly through these quickly and then we'll get onto the movie chat. Uh, the first one is from 2021, Val, documentary about Val Kilmer. Uh, he carried a video camera with him everywhere, everywhere. And he's been on a lot of movies. So there's hundreds and hundreds of hours worth of stuff. It covers his marriage and the kids he had with uh, Joanne Wally, who we met on the set of oh Willow, if I remember rightly. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's right, yeah. Then, of course, you know, the throat cancer, all of that that he went through. It's 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 heartbreaking and heartwarming at the same time. You know, it's heartbreaking when you see this young, fit Val Kilmer with the world at his feet almost. And then what happened to him? I mean, he had this reputation for being difficult to work with. But there's other other actors that say just the opposite. He, you know, he was just professional and he was a joy to work with he comes across as a really nice guy in it he narrates it there's points we put uh we put subtitles on at one point because he had difficulty talking through the operation you know i think he's had a few operations uh, for the throat cancer and sometimes it's difficult to work out what he's saying uh, is the only sort of caveat i'd put when you're watching it you might have difficulty sometimes understanding him but you do, again, you don't even need to be a fan of Val Kilmer to enjoy watching this. You just have to enjoy movies, really, because it goes through him on the set of all different movies and telling stories about it and him as a family man. And it's, it's yeah, it's it's a really, really good, like I said, heartwarming but also heartbreaking documentary, which is which is recommended. Mm. Uh, I, I quite like Val Kilmer, I must admit. He's, yeah, I like uh, him. 
Yeah, he's been in some. I mean, you know, in Tombstone, he played Doc Holliday, didn't he? And he's really good mm-hmm. in that. I think the first movie I saw of him was Top Secret, which. Um, oh my god! Was, yeah, as was uh, quite funny. And then, uh, like you said, the, there's there was talk about him going up his own ass and mm-hmm. being difficult on set, and you know, all that. So, you know, I'm sure a lot of actors have got reputations. You know, some that we know of and some that we don't. Mm. Um, so, you know, it's. It's like any place of work, I guess. You know, you you got people that, you know, can be arseholes. <laughs> um, but we don't know, do we? But like, I have seen the trailer for this, and it does look pretty emotional. You know, um, so yeah. yeah, I will be checking that one out. Yeah, it do, it does take you on uh, on an emotional ride, shall we say? Uh, another another really heartwarming documentary is, again from twenty twenty one, Sam and Matty make a zombie movie, and it's about two best mates these two lads they both have down syndrome they've been friends since they were really young they're in the teens and they both love movies and they've got a camera and they make movies but they want to make a proper zombie movie and they do and the story of how they do it and without giving anything away who gets involved in it is is so good <laughs> so good to watch and you're really cheering for them and you can t- and, you know you see a lot of the end product of the movie it's not the best zombie movie you're ever going to see by their own admission it's not but fuck me they had a lot of fun making it <laughs> you know? and, and that really comes across on the screen of how much fun and their enthusiasm and their passion that they had while making it just sort of flows from the screen and just makes you feel good while you're watching it and then certain things happen during the production of it that you just go yes <laughs> that is awesome and yeah it's it's a feel-good documentary with a good ending to it uh, with the added bonus of a silly zombie movie in it too that's cool mm. how long's the zombie film for is it for like full length or is I it think, uh... Uh, yeah i think the one they made um off the top of my head i think it could have been around an hour i could be way way off i know they had and they show it, they had like their premiere of it at a theatre. Uh, and I think it is like a full movie. But you get to see quite a lot of it in this documentary too. Uh, but they say, and it's, you know, they, it's not all easy for them. You, you go through all the trials and tribulations of what anybody does making a movie. And, and they go through, a, you know, a lot while they're making it. And of course, you know, it's like zero budget as near as damn it. And the obstacles they have to come and overcome. And the way that they get around doing it and sometimes all on set isn't happy, but they carry on and, and get it done and fair play to them. They don't give up. They get it made. Loads of people talk about, you know, oh, yeah, I can make a movie. But they don't. These two lads, they went and did it. So fair play to them. No, oh, that sounds cool. Hmm. What's that on? I think that was on. It was on one of the streaming services. It was it could have been Amazon. It was, uh, yes, yeah, have a look on Netflix or Amazon. It was on one of those two that I watched it on. Cool. Uh, a third documentary. I've got to be careful what I say about this because people have watched it. I know when I say the title, they will scream something out. It's called Bloody Nose, Empty Pockets from 2020. And it tells Ooh. the story. It's the, it's the final moments of a Las Vegas it's a dive bar. It's called the Roaring Twenties. And it's it's the final night 
before they close. They've been they've got the regulars in there, and because it's a dive bar, you get the drunks that are coming in. You, know, you get the ladies of the night that are coming in. You get the barman who owns the place and he knows everybody and what they drink without them having to order it. The character we've all seen people like this in bars, you know, across the world. And it's just it's just them, and you're just a fly on the wall observing them sort of saying goodbye to their favourite bar that they frequented for a long, long time. And I watched it, and I thought, yes, this is really good. And this. So amazing characters in it, amazing characters in it. And it finished, and I thought, that was a cracking documentary. I'll write that down, and I'll recommend it the next time we record an entertainment show. <laughs> and then... Major spoiler ahead for anybody, so be warned. I thought I'll have a read up about this. It's not a documentary. It's a piece of fiction. The, oh, really? The director filmed it as though it was a documentary. So I didn't know it. It's like now I thought, should I play in documentaries or films? Thought, no, because it really does look like a proper documentary. It blew me off my feet. I went, what the fuck? This isn't a documentary. You would swear it really was the last night of this dive bar the actors in it mate are just fucking incredible they really so naturalistic <laughs> you'd swear you were in amongst like i said proper fly on the wall in amongst all these people slowly getting more and more pissed as the night goes on uh, yeah it's incredible it's even if people have listened to the spoiler i mean it's still really good knowing that but that was just an extra layer after i watched it that just blew my mind uh, but it's still really good, even knowing, it might even be even better knowing what I've just said, because it's not that. And you and you can be amazed even more knowing they're fucking acting. It's, you know, it's not it's not real. It's it's that, it's a cracking it's a cracking one. I nearly said documentary again. I do. That sounds really one. cool. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. It's very, very good. What's that on? Um, that's going to say that every time. What's that on? <laughs> it is. Here's a, here's a good tip for everybody. I have recommended it before, but it had it had uh, an update, and it's the app called Upflix. And what it right. does now, it used to tell me everything that was on Netflix, and it would say, and you get an alert. You can set like any app, you can set the alerts up and everything, and it would say new on Netflix today, leaving Netflix, leaving Netflix in a week. So it would give you you know a week you could watch something before it left. Now the app tells me everything that's coming and going on Netflix, Amazon, Disney, you pick, you know, which streaming services you've got. And so if you want to look for a film, you type it in, it'll tell you where to watch it. Oh, I like that. Because I mm. did download that when you told me about it a few years ago, but then I ended up deleting it because I just thought, I'm not watching anything on Netflix. <laughs> I'm too <laughs> tired or I've got no time or I'm doing something else. So, um, that's very cool. I will have yeah. to look into that now. I'm pretty sure that this Bloody Nose Empty Pockets is on, or it was at the time that I watched it, was on Amazon. Awesome. Yeah, and the final one, well, I mean, this is an eight-hour epic. Uh, the Beatles get back. Ooh, yeah. Now I've, I've not watched it, but I've heard about it. It's on my to-watch list. I'm not a Beatles fan. Never have been. Never bought a Beatles record. Never put a Beatles record on to listen to. Have heard loads of Beatles over the years, obviously, not just on the radio. You know, you've been to Friends and they'll put the Beatles on. I've heard lots, not just the singles. I've heard, you know, album tracks that have never been a single. 
uh, they've got some good songs. Don't get me wrong. I do like quite a lot of Beatles songs, but I've, I've never been a big fan. I, like I said, I'd never go and, oh, yeah, I think I'll listen to the Beatles today. This documentary, oh, my God, Peter Jackson, how he's done what he's done. I think he had, I think it was 70 hours of video footage. It was about 150 hours of audio. Uh, it was shot in 1969. I mean, it, was, it was shot and it was originally released in 1970 as the documentary Let It Be. And it's while they were re recording the Let It Be album. And that, which I have watched, but it was oh, many, many years ago, really to give the impression that the band was squabbling. It was Yoko's fault that they'd broken up and there was inner turmoil while they were recording this album. Uh, and Peter Jackson has put it together. Um, oh, my, how he's done it from the footage he's got, because it's... To make it, again, like a fly on the wall, but this continuity flowing through the whole eight hours, it's never jarring. Even though it can jump around a little bit, it's never jarring, and it takes you through. Again, this was one, I could have watched another eight hours of it, and I'm not a Beatles fan. <laughs> I could have easily watched another eight hours of it. I was fascinated by it. I'd say the only thing that me and Tina were not a fan of is it's been it's digitally restored shall we say it's gone rid a lot of the grain it's smooth you know like you were doing before we started recording you were playing around with the zoom filters and it could smooth your face out they've done that and it is when you first start watching it it's almost like watching animated madame two swords figures they do look like really smooth and waxy and it's a bit ooh, that's a bit strange but you do get used to it obviously you know over the course of eight hours of course you get used to it but watching how they, you know, just like songs that virtually the whole world know off the, off the, like, you know, off by heart, how they come up with these songs and put them together and the relationship, relationships between them. I mean, George Harrison walked out at one point and said, he's, he's leaving the Beatles. That's it. I've left. I'm not coming back. And they had to go to his house and they had to patch that up. And then there was niggles between, well, between all of them. But you also see... They were really good mates. They were, they were just like four lads from Liverpool who'd made it big. And you could see that they were they were still really good mates. And as a human story, and to watch all of this come together, like I say, in such a great way that Peter Jackson has just constructed it all and everybody else involved in the making of this. And to keep me, me invested for eight hours is, you know, what a feat by the filmmakers. And it is, it's gripping, mate. It's absolutely gripping. And I'd even put it as my documentary choice of this episode. I'd say it was that, because that really affected me more than, you know, the other three that I've talked about. Even though I recommend all four, I, that, that was the one that, you know, had the most uh, emotional effect on me, I would say. Yeah, it's crazy to think, isn't it? I mean, I think Peter Jackson is a... Is a genius oh, when, when you think stuff of like how this. he started as well <laughs> you know bad taste and, and brain dead and meet the feebles well that, exactly you know and i remember watching uh funny enough we mentioned bad taste when we were talking about the stuff because it's like you know you go to the video shop and you'd look at the covers i mean bad taste has got a really distinctive cover it's got an alien holding an ak-47 and giving you the finger um <laughs> you're not gonna forget that 
So no, and and uh, you know, I just, I love bad taste, you know, <clears throat> and it's really cheap and cheerful, but it's got its heart in the right place. And you look at all the other films that he made earlier on his in his career, um, you know, and then he's gone on to make this, which I've heard nothing but good things about it. Uh, and for you to describe it in the way that you have just makes me want to watch it even more. So um, yeah, it's good that he's because I still haven't watched the final Hobbit movie. I must admit, I just kind of lost interest in those. I just felt they were a bit unnecessary. And and perhaps he was, you know, he was, he was experimenting with different things. So it, it took the shine off, off some of the stuff that he'd done a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, once you've, I know you're not a massive fan of the Lord of the Rings movies, but when you've kind of, and then you, you go on to King Kong, which, um, you know, is enjoyable enough, but yeah. it's, you've reached that high, uh, where you know you've won Oscars and everything, and then it's kind of what do you do next? Um, so to see him kind of come back to this, I must admit I've not seen that documentary. They shall not grow old. Have you seen that? That's about World War One, isn't it? No, uh, oh no, we haven't. I don't you think we have. Couple, did that a couple of years ago. I've yeah. heard that that's good as well. But um, yeah, so yeah, it, that's very cool, and I will be watching that. Um, Funnily enough, my dad, we went to see my dad over Christmas and um, he put on, I think it's A Hard Day's Night. Is that the one where the, it's a movie with mm, the Beatles, yeah. black and white, Wilfred Brambles in it and they're on a train <laughs> and there's just singing songs randomly and they're being chased by, you know, rabid fans. Um, I mean, I, I, I think I probably like the Beatles probably a bit more than you do, but um, I've got one of their compilation albums, um, you know, somewhere. Um, but I suppose they're like a bit like ABBA, aren't they? You know, even if you're not a fan of ABBA, you know their songs yeah. because they, they've just been played on the radio and they're catchy and they, you know, so you know their songs um, from that. So awesome. Yeah. Go for that, mate. I'm sure you'll enjoy it. I'm sure. I'm sure. Well, most people will. You know? So it's eight hours long, is it? I think it, um, yes. It's like three parts. I think it's three parts. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's just under eight hours long. I think each part is like about two hours 40 or whatever. Uh, and it goes in each one. You think, oh, God, you know, if you're watching a film, it was over two and a half hours. You think, oh, God, it's a bit of a stretch. Uh, and again, it, it just flew by, mate. Just watching each part was it was just, oh, that's two and a half hours gone pretty quick. <laughs> it's funny that that's popped up on Disney Plus as well, isn't it? Yeah, um, yeah. You know, they've got quite... I must admit, we don't watch a great deal of Disney+. Plus. We watched Encanto the other week. Um, quite enjoyed that. Um, and then there's a few other films. I mean, you know, if you think about it, there's such a huge catalogue of movies on Disney+, oh, Plus, and particularly yeah. when they added on the um, the, the, the Fox stuff. Um, yeah. You know, so... But we don't really watch it that often, I must admit. Um, I think the only times I can think of when we've watched Disney+, Plus was for The Mandalorian... Um, some of the Disney movies, um, watched, watched a few of the Marvel movies, uh, but they've got quite a lot of other documentaries and bits and pieces on there, haven't they? Oh, yeah, um, they're building the uh, the catalogue on there quite a lot. You know, it's I think we've had, this is year two of, of watching the Disney Channel now, the Disney Plus, I should say, and they've added loads to it over those two years. So, it's, mm. but that's the thing, isn't it? You know, with streaming services, oh, you got to, oh, I've got to subscribe to Disney Plus, then there's Netflix, then there's Amazon, then there's things, you know, Hulu and whatever else. Is it Paramount Plus in America and lots of others? And if if you want everything, it costs you a fucking fortune. Yeah, it, it does. <laughs> we've got um, Amazon because we've got Amazon Prime anyway. So yeah, 
we've got access to Amazon. Um, we've got Disney Plus um, and Netflix, uh, and so a lot of those are the, and the ones that we've got. We've got yeah. Sky Movies as well, but that's included as part of our package. But uh, you know, if that goes, it, it you know, it'll go at some point. It's only because they threw it in as a deal. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. But like you said, this it's it's a those are your main ones. Then I, I think there's is it Shudder? That's another one. Shudder's the horror, then, yeah. But then within Amazon, you know, you subscribe to Amazon Prime, and then you look at that, and then within that, there's other subscription services. I think Shudder's in that. I know Arrow, uh, Arrow Player is in there from all the releases from Arrow Films. There's uh, I think there's an MGM channel. There's, that's there's it, like yes. a shit ton in that as well and each one yeah. of them you're going to pay for separately yeah because we were going to um adam and i were think planning on doing blood sport <clears throat> and the dvd is you know it's really hard to get hold of you can buy it on amazon i think it's about seven or eight quid um or you can it, i think it's on the mgm subscription which yeah. that's a random one it is <laughs> Just, a random uh, one the only plus with those is very often you can have seven days for free a free trial yes and if you don't if you don't cancel it after the seven days it's just automatically billed to whatever however you pay for your amazon prime it all comes in under the same thing it'll come out but i've done it a few times i've done it with mgm i wanted to watch i think it was the pink panther films so i did the free trial for a week but you just go yeah free trial and then i immediately unsubscribe from it so it doesn't bill you at the end of the seven days and I've done that with quite a few. I did it with Arrow Player just the other week. Um, so yeah, if the, if there's one or two films you specifically want to see, and it's on one of those other ones within Amazon Prime, take advantage of the seven day thing, and then just unsubscribe immediately. And I've done it because usually you can only do it once, and then that's it. You know, you've tried the free trial, you can't do it. I'm I'm more or less positive I've done it twice with a couple of them over the years. You know, maybe mm. after twelve months you might get another free week again. I don't know. But it's mm. worth looking at. Sounds good. Mm. Go on then, mate. You kick us off with the movies then. So these are, of everything that we've watched, some of the highlights, I guess. Um, surprising one to start off with, a horror movie, um, The Evil Dead, the remake. Oh, the remake. Uh, okay. I um, wasn't... Um, I've seen the original Evil Dead, I think maybe once or twice. Um, the Evil Dead 2, I've seen so many times i can't even tell you how many times i've and i love that movie mm -hmm. but it's a totally different film although it's you know it's a i suppose a, going back to bruce campbell you know it's a, a slightly updated version of the evil dead but there's so much to the evil dead too which i love um so I, I think i was probably just a little bit bored one night i was looking for something to watch and then this was on I think it was on amazon and uh i thought i'll give it a go it's only like an hour and a half long it's not a very long film mm. um I actually really enjoyed it. I thought it was quite enjoyable. I thought the the you know the horror in it was good. The um, uh, you know it kept me on on edge. Um, it was I just yeah I, I really enjoyed it. I'm I was shocked to be quite honest with you as to how much I enjoyed it. And again, listening to uh, the Bruce Campbell audio books, like you know Sam Raimi and Rob Tapper and. Uh, you know they endorsed it you know and that it, it, so um and the the person who made it Fede Alv, um alvarez uh he made don't breathe as well mm -hmm. 
um, and which I watched. Uh, I quite enjoyed. Uh, maybe want to watch People Under the Stairs again because you know it kind of it, there is a lot of People Under the Stairs in in it. But um, no, it was it was good. I, I, what I can't remember. I'm sure you've mentioned it before, but I, I'm not think you're a bit cooler on it. But uh, do you remember watching it, or do you remember much about it? I remember watching it. I've only watched. I've Sam the opposite of you. I've watched the remake once. The original Evil Dead shit ton of times you know grow up watching it and i think because i've got such a love of the original that's why it was a little bit cooler with this one and i can't remember a lot about it to be honest with you all i remember is going no nah, i don't really like it but i think it was tainted because i loved the first one so much i think maybe i, I should do a rewatch of the remake and then view it again and i think i might i might see it a little bit differently because you remember, I think we watched one of the, the, the reboot of the Blair Witch um, for one of our double dips many years yeah, ago, and yeah. I wasn't a huge fan of that. I'll, I'll be honest with you. I, you know, so, so I suppose for me, it's horror re- remakes, if you want to call it that, you know, or homage to the original. It it actually worked for me. Um, I thought it was good. It was a it was a good update. So you know. Um, it, you know, it was nasty in the, all the right places. Uh, the gore was quite good in it. It was cool. I, yeah, I quite enjoyed it. Um, so is that. That's Baby Driver. Oh, man, what a film. Um, you've talked about this before. Yeah. And I, I love Edgar Wright, you know, again, going back to Spaced and Simon Pegg. There's like the link, isn't there? Yeah. Um, uh, but no, you know, going back to uh, Edgar Wright and the, the the movies he's made with Simon Pegg and Nick Frost, uh, particularly Shaun of the Dead. Uh, but you, so I think he's such a good director, you know, makes really interesting movies. Haven't watched his latest one. Um, what was it? Uh, so, uh, something Soho. Uh, I haven't got around to watching that. Have you watched that? No, we haven't watched that yet. Um, I missed it. It was one of those films that came out on the cinema, but it was sort of blinking. You miss it almost didn't seem to last very long. So I'll watch that at some point when it's uh, last night in Soho. There you go. Uh, when it comes on streaming services. Um, but you talked about this and other people have talked about it, how good it was. So again, I tend to watch a lot of films now uh, on a Friday night, you know, when I'm, I can't be bothered to play a video game or it's it's too late to get into a video game. So like 11 o'clock, mm-hmm. kid, everyone's gone to bed. I'll just stick a film on. Yeah. And um, I've been forcing myself to watch films that I haven't watched before because inevitably I'll just think, I'll just stick the running man on <laughs> or <laughs> I'll just stick Cobra on or I'll, I'll watch Kickboxer, yeah. you know, or, or something like that, you know. Um, so... This is really cool. It's it's um, a really well-made movie. The action in it is awesome. The whole thing about it is that the, the driver's got tinnitus, so, you know, he listens to music constantly, but he's a, you know, he works with um, uh, bank robbers. <coughs> excuse me. Uh, Kevin Space is in it. I think this is probably one of the last movies that Kevin Spacey did before all of the... Uh, you know, controversy and everything came out about him. Yeah. But um, yeah, it's it's awesome. The use of music in it is just it's stunning. Mm-hmm. It just you know you're watching it thinking this is awesome. <laughs> you know, it's just like um, you know. Uh, so I, I really really enjoyed uh, Baby Driver. Highly recommended. I'd imagine a lot of people have seen it by now. But um, Car Chase is in it, fantastic as well. Just, yeah. 
yeah, it's it's superb. Really, again, not necessarily. If you think about the yeah, the stuff he was making, you know, in sort of like late nineties with around space, you know, this 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 cool, quirky, like cult TV show to making these really interesting Hollywood movies. Uh, you know, he's he's done right for himself. Um, and generally, I think, very well regarded in the movie industry by the likes of Quentin Tarantino and yeah. various other people. Yeah. And like you said, the, the use of music in it, the way that it's edited and choreographed to music is just incredible. The, the amount of planning that goes into some of the shots that are in it is just, oh, yeah, it's beggar's belief. But it, yeah, it's a cracking yeah. film, mate, definitely. Really good. Um, an older film, which I haven't seen for ages, and I, I, Kay and I were looking for sort of a movie to watch, um, and, and and I've said this to me many times before, it's like, I, I you know, watching a film with Kay, I have to think carefully about it because, you know, she will switch off very quickly if she's not into it. And again, it's kind of keeping it light, so it has to be comedy related or romantically uh, re- related somehow. So <laughs> ended up watching My Cousin Vinny, which I haven't seen that film for bloody years. Um, but it's one that I used to watch fairly regularly um, just after it came out. And I was curious to see whether it would actually still hold up, you know, because it's, you know, it it's came out in 1992. Um, and, yeah, it still made me laugh. It made Kay laugh. It was funny. Um, you know, it's, it's really good because... Um, Marissa Tomei, I think she obviously won an Oscar for this um, back in the day. So, and it's cool. It, Joe Pesci is really good in it. Uh, but I think, it's, like I said, Marissa Tomei steals the show a little bit. Uh, Ralph Macchio's in it. It's um, Fred Gwynn as the judge who um, played Herman Munster. I'm sure people will know who Fred Gwynn is. Um, but it's it's a cool film. It's really good. It's like I said, it's really funny. It, it does. It stands up for me. Um, it's, I'm guessing it's been a long time since you've watched this. I couldn't tell you a thing about it. I, I know I watched it when it came out on video. So I rented it when it came out and that would be the first and only time that I've watched it. So wow. Yeah. I couldn't even tell you if I enjoyed it or not, because I can't remember a thing about it. So yeah, maybe that's another one I should put on my rewatch list. Yeah. For, for people who don't know, it's um, so Ralph Macchio and his mate, they're going across country and they end up in this kind of like uh, backwater um, uh, in, a, in a certain part of America. And they get accused of a crime. They didn't commit killing somebody and they're locked in jail. And so they get um, Joe Pesci, who's a lawyer sort of, but, he, he's never done obviously trial work or anything like that. And it's, it's about the, you know, a fish out of water story to a certain degree as well, but it's, it's really funny. It's I, yeah, I enjoyed it quite a lot. Um, I don't know where to pass it over to you. I've got three, four, five films left. Oh my gosh. Some of them are quite quick. And I know one is, well, there's a couple, well, three on there actually, which I know we can have a good, discussion about but i feel like i'm taking over a bit no, I'll, I'll fly through a few i've got 11 and this is after wow i know this shit. is after i pared it down as well so i'll and because i thought I, I was like crossing off loads that were on my list but the ones that i've left on it i didn't want to cross off I, I really want to recommend them to people if they haven't seen them and to you of course mate if you haven't seen them too so i'll fly through a few I'll, and then i'll chuck it back to you uh, i'm going to start with an indie film from 2003 
and it's called 11.14, as in the time, 11.14. Uh, it's got Patrick Swayze in it. I mean, Ooh. do I need to say any more to get people watching it? It's got Patrick Swayze in it. They, no more needs to be said. And it, it's all centred around a car crash that happens, believe it or not, at 11.14 at night. And this, it's seen from five different perspectives. So there's all these different groups of people all going about their own lives. But you see through the events that lead up to and after this crash that happens at 11.14, how everybody's lives are interconnected. It's really cleverly done. And even, and it's a good example as well, because this does happen in real life. You know, you can be doing something and inadvertently, and probably you'll never know how something you did without thinking had a really big effect on somebody else's life. And you'll never know that. Sometimes you do, sometimes you don't. And I, it just, it's one of those that it just really clicked with me. I thought it was very clever with the added bonus of Patrick Swayze in it. And it's like, I've never seen this. There's a Patrick Swayze movie I haven't seen. And it, and it was good. And it kept me invested in it all the way. So definitely recommend that one. It's got a good cast as well, looking yeah, at it. It's um, yeah. loads. Of, uh, there's, you know, Ben Foster, Barbara Hershey, Hilary Swank. Mm-hmm. I just wanted, like saying Swank. Um, <laughs> Colin Hanks, isn't it? So, yeah, I'm surprised. I've never heard of this before. Me neither. Me neither. It was one of those. And again... Again, it must have been on Amazon. Usually, it's for films like this, it's more more of a case that they're on Amazon than Netflix. And it, it was just Patrick Swayze's name that drew me into it. I thought, oh my God, what? Him in this? I've never seen it. I'll have to sit and watch it. And yeah, it was really good. It was really good. Tina, Tina enjoyed it, but not as much as I did. I got into it a lot more than she did. Uh, so yeah, there's one to start with. 2021, Wrath of Man. Uh, it's based on a French film. Uh, directed by Guy Ritchie, stars Jason Statham. And you think, uh, you know, so both of them, they've had some duds. You know, you think, oh, it's Guy Ritchie, sometimes it's a bit by the numbers. Jason Statham can be, well, Jason Statham, you know, but, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which he is in most films. But he's done some clunkers. I mean, he's done some awesome ones, too. Don't get me wrong. This, they're both on form in this. And Jason Statham, he plays a guy called... H, mysterious guy. Uh, you don't know too much about him. He gets a job working for a cash truck company. You know, they drive around and they collect large sums of money from banks and everywhere. And it's a revenge story. Again, I don't want to give too much away, but he's out for revenge. He's not who he seems to be. And unsurprisingly, shit hits the fan. <laughs> and it's, but it's not one of those where it's all crazy shootouts and Jason Statham kicking ass. There's a really good story to it, and there's some good acting in it, and there's some good characters in it, and there's some nice twists and turns in the narrative of it as well. So that kept me invested for all sorts of reasons because I got, you know, I got invested in his character, and then things are happening. It's like, oh, hold on, this isn't going where I thought it was going to go. I like films like that. Because a lot of films, you know from the first 10 minutes how they're going to end. This kept me guessing a little bit more. So that was good. It's because Guy Ritchie, I mean, you think of him as, you know, the sort of um, the the Mockney kind of gangster movies, you know, like Lockstock and 
um, snatch and all yeah. that. But you th- looking, just looking at IMDb now, you know, he, he's made some fairly big Hollywood movies, like the Sherlock Holmes movies with mm. Robert Downey Jr. Uh, he did The Man from, from Uncle. Um, then, he, like you said, he's had a couple of does. I'm not seeing it, but I've heard the King Arthur film he did was a bit crap. But then I've just looked in here. I didn't realise this at all. He directed the Aladdin movie, the live action version of Aladdin with Will Smith. Oh, I had no idea. He did I didn't that. know that actually. No, I didn't. So that's crazy. Uh, the Gentleman, that was one of the more recent ones with Hugh Grant and um, what's his name? Charlie Hunman. Uh, Hunnam, sorry. I'm not saying that Matthew McConaughey pops up in that one. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, I've learned something today. I had no idea he, because I've watched that a few <laughs> times because kids like it. But uh, yeah, there you go. Yeah, I've never seen, I've never seen the live action version of it. So yeah. It's okay. Is it? It's all right. It all right? Yeah. Uh, I'm going to move on to a French slash Belgian co-production from 2021 uh, called Titan. And it's written and directed by Julia Ducorno, I think is her name. Uh, she wrote and directed Raw, which I've recommended on this show in the past. From That was in 2016. And this, I prefer Raw, by the way, uh, of the two. But that's that's not putting this down in any way at all. And it's about it's about a girl who's injured in a car accident at the beginning when she's a young girl and she has a titanium plate fitted into her skull. And it jumps forward and she's a grown woman and she's, you know, doing some exotic dancing at this club and there's cars and everything. And she's she was because she was in this car accident, she's obsessed with cars. And um Yeah. What can what can I say about this? She she becomes the long lost son of a fire captain. I, again, I don't want to give too much away. I just want to tease people and make them want to watch it. So she becomes the long lost son of a fire captain, even though at the time she is pregnant <laughs> from shagging a car. And you see the sex scene with her in a car. She she's grinding herself. She she uh, straddles the gear stick. Uh, you see, mo- <laughs> what yeah. the fuck? you see, you see motor oil dripping from her vagina. Oh um, my god! She, <laughs> she, she changes her appearance to look more like this long lost son from this uh, fire captain. Uh, she tapes her belly flat to hide her pregnancy. She also, she breaks her nose in one of the most horrific scenes I've ever seen. It was, you know, what genuinely winced watching this scene where she breaks her own nose. It was, oh, because she doesn't do it the first time. It takes her a few goes the way that she does it. And you're going, oh, please stop. Just stop doing that. It, oh, it's horrible. Um, she's also a serial killer as well. There you go. How about throwing that into the mix for you? Jesus. Yeah, things happen. But I've told you enough that hopefully... Everybody listening's going, yeah, might take a look at that. It's all a bit strange and weird, but strangely fascinating and draws you in and you're going, oh, I can't really believe what I'm watching, but I want to know what happens next. If you liked Raw, hopefully people watched Raw on the recommendation I did from the other year. Uh, You definitely need to watch this. And even if you didn't watch Raw, go and watch it and then watch this as well. It's, yeah, it's, it's a weird one. I can see why... I can see why some people would watch it and they go, oh, that was a load of shit. I can see, you know, it's one of those. I can I definitely see why. 
but me and Tina loved it. It was, and, and this was one where Tina loved it more than I did. And um, but I, yeah, I still really enjoyed it. It's yeah, it's got all sorts going on in it, it's, uh, which French films normally do, don't they? You know, good old yeah. French. Wow, that, that that I mean, that sounds fairly unique. Yeah, <laughs> and people couldn't see this, but I was pulling some very funny faces when they was describing <laughs> it. Um, uh, I'll do one more, then I'll pass it over to you. I'll do another one from 2021. Uh, this is The Power of the Dog. Uh, it's Benedict Cumberbatch. He's a rancher, a no-nonsense rancher who takes no shit, and he lives with his brother. Um, they, they've got the ranch. The parents have died. And his brother brings home a new wife who has already got uh, a sort of a late-teen son. Phil's not happy about this, Benedict Cumberbatch characters. And um, emotions are stirred. They have a fallout. Uh, it goes to, like, this go and again, there's, there's so many in this show where I don't want to say too much for, for fear of spoiling them, but I need to say something, you know, obviously to entice people to watch them. It's uh, the character Phil that Benedict Cumberbatch plays, and he starts, like I say, he's, you know, he's like, oh, and he's like bossy, and he's proper man's man, and he's got all the ranchers, and he's in charge, but, you know, he listens to his brother, his brother's more the brains of it. But then things transpire, especially when his brother brings home the wife and her son, that Phil might not be all that he seems to be. And he's, he's sort of repressing some feelings that might come out. And, the, and again, this takes twists and turns. And it's, it's one of those films, and we've talked about this in the past with films, and they're really good, and they're really good, and they're really good, and it gets to the end, and oh, fucking hell, the end, shit. And it spoils it, doesn't it? We've had something just like, bleh. They can't end it. This has got a cracking ending to it. And you're going, yes, yes, they've nailed an ending. And it, and you feel satisfied with the way that everything's rounded off. And everything that's gone before it pays off beautifully at the end of it. And, you, and you're thinking, yeah, that, 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 was, that was good. Um, there is also... <laughs> there is also um, a vegan alert. <laughs> because our friend on Letterbox watched it. And, oh. and be careful because Phil calls a horse a name. So, you know, that's how dare he call a name. But just to balance it, there is also a vegan point. There'll have to be accommodation for my pussy. <laughs> Still makes me laugh. Uh, and Rose pets a rabbit in it. So that's, you know, it's a, a bit of yin and yang with that. But it's well, it. there you go. Yeah. I, I've missed the vegan alert. <laughs> I have. <laughs> I'm just, oh my gosh. Uh, so now I, you, you've sent me off on a. You're a, not going a down rabbit that hole. rabbit hole, eh? <laughs> no, I'm going to be looking at what movies she's. <laughs> <laughs> I I did before we recorded, I've got to admit, I just, because I thought I'm not going through six months worth and reading every review to find some crackers, of which I'm sure there would be loads that I've missed. I just looked at the films that I've got on my list. And uh, yeah, there was a few. So yeah, there you go. The Power of the Dog 2021. It's a good one. It's cool. Yeah. Um, I'm just looking here. She's just uh, re uh, reviewed the house or House of Gucci, mm -hmm. and the one of the vegan alerts is. 
I, I snuck one through just, <clears throat> excuse me, I snuck one through. You didn't pick up on oh, it. Oh, so. <laughs> damn it. There, there's a little Easter egg for people. When did I miss it? Um, but no, uh, one of the uh, things that she's put down is um, pigeon racing. <laughs> what? <laughs> <laughs> Bizarre. Anyway. Yeah. Oh, well. <laughs> I'm just like, oh, what's this here? See, look, look uh, this oh, is it. No, oh, here's one. This you is are... weird. Right. Flash Gordon from 1936. Yes. Okay. So the vegan alert for this one. Whee! Whee! I, I paused then just to make sure you got it. <laughs> is man kicks a creature and creatures are not always treated well. I'm assuming by creature means alien um, or something like that as opposed to an actual animal yeah. that's real. Yeah. So <laughs> there you go. The, yeah. It, it's a strange rabbit hole to go down, mate, once you start looking at those. Yes. Mm. Yes, it, it certainly is. But there you go. Anyway. Mm. Um, cool. Shall, shall I do another couple? Yeah, go on then. So <clears throat> I know that you've seen these, yeah. Um, but again, based on your recommendation, um, we watched another round. Oh, nice! Um, which uh, Mads Mikkelsen, Thomas Vinterberg directed, who's directed uh, Mads Mikkelsen in other movies, The Hunt being one of them, which is an awesome film. Um, and you, 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 well, you've recommended this one before, and I will go along with that recommendation. Oh, good. <clears throat> it's really, really good. Uh, very compelling, funny in places, um, uh, you know, a bit tragic in other places. Uh, you get drawn into the characters. The teachers, middle-aged teachers, they conduct this experiment uh, to have a certain amount of alcohol within their blood, uh, bloodstream. And so, you know, they, they take little bottles of vodka and stuff like that into work and sneak them, have a little swig. And then, you know, as, as the experiment goes on, they, they go all out, shall we say, um, and things happen. And I really enjoyed it. I found it really compelling. I can watch Mads Mikkelsen in anything, to be honest with yeah. you. I said before, got a bit of a man crush on him, um, but he's awesome in this sort of, uh, like I said, a middle-aged guy who's got a couple of kids, teenagers, he's got a wife, they've drifted apart, he's sort of like sleepwalking through his um, his life, uh, you know, and um, the introduction of alcohol changes his personality and, you know, he sort of, it, it helps him to harness the person and the, the, the teacher that he was, um, you know, so it has positive effects, but like anything, you know, it, it trips over into things that go wrong. Um, no, I thought oh, it was great. I loved the ending as well. It, mm-hmm. it, I wasn't expecting the ending and I'm not going to give anything away, but um, just to see Mads Mikkelsen doing what he does at the end was amazing. <laughs> yeah. It was cool. Yeah, and I really never good. knew he could do something like that, which just made me love him even more. Yeah. You know? Yeah. How could you not love him? You know, again, before you even saw him doing that, but then when he does that, you go, yeah. He's cool as fuck, isn't he? he? Is, he's isn't really he? awesome. He really is. Yeah, Tina's. That uh, Tina's. Oh yeah, it's again. Anytime he's on screen, I've said it before. You know, we have to put towels on the couch. For it, to <laughs> it gets very messy when she watches. I have to put him. a pillow on my lap <laughs> just to hide <laughs> the erection. Uh, no, it's it's a very good film. I really enjoyed yeah, it. Um, now here's another one, mm-hmm. and 
it's Doctor Sleep, um, starring Ewan McGregor. Mm. I think we've had this conversation. I, I said to you before, I think it was over WhatsApp. Um, I am not a huge fan of The Shining. Um, I just, it doesn't do anything for me as a horror film, mm. um, as a suspense thriller. I know people laud it and talk about it in glowing terms, refer to it as a, a classic. Um, but I, it, I don't know. There's just something, maybe it's the setting, you know, in terms of, you know, I'm very cool uh, towards it. And it's not necessarily just because it's set in a, you know, a cold place or whatever. It's it's just a very cool movie for me. There's mm. just, there's nothing, I don't warm to any of the characters. I don't engage with any of them particularly, um, particularly oh, like Shelley Duvall's character. Uh, um, just, there's, there's just stuff in it. I mean, Jack Nicholson is, he's, good value you know but jack nicholson's good value in a lot of things but there's just something about it i just don't i don't engage with it i've watched it a number of times watched it a lot when i was a kid um weirdly i think it came out in 1980 but i remember watching it a lot when i was a kid um not necessarily getting it but i think i think it's more a case of it's a horror film and you know it's something uh that i shouldn't be watching so let's watch it (laughs) um but yeah it's so going into Dr. Sleep, again, I'd heard good things. Uh, Wayne, my friend, talked about it. He said it was one of his most favourite films uh, of 2019 when it came out. Um, and again, though, it was one of these Friday night movies and I decided to put it on and I was completely engrossed in it. It's set years after the events of the original movie. So Danny, uh, who was a young boy, has now grown up, played by Ewan McGregor, um, and he's got various problems uh he's an alcoholic um he's he's just you know not having a good good time of it he's haunted by um various visions and things um and doesn't know how to deal with them and it's all about him coming to terms with that moving to somewhere completely new and then there's this troop gang of um supernatural people that consume uh, you know the, the the well, like the shining. You know this the the the, the, the sort of supernatural element of of, the, of children and people, but children in particular. And I found that really disturbing. This is a section in it which is uh, you know they catch a kid. I mean it, that in itself, you know, I think having young children, you know, seeing them abduct a child, yeah, and then yeah. what they do to the child. And it doesn't necessarily hold back with what they do to the kid either. Um, and I should say, you know, the leader of this gang played by Rebecca Ferguson, who I've seen in a few different movies, like the Imp- Impossible Mission movies. Um, she was in oh, the one with Hugh Jackman, The Greatest Showman, and a few other things. And she's really good. I don't think I've actually seen a bad film that she, you know, with her in it. She's a really good actress. Um, and she's really menacing and horrible in this as well. Um, and yeah it, it's it's a very good movie it had me on edge um it's it, yeah it, it's it's very cool um Ewan McGregor's very good in it I mean the whole cast's good in it but you know particularly Rebecca Ferguson and Ewan McGregor I'll, I'll single them out um to go from a film that I wasn't expecting much of because I'm not a fan of the original uh, it, it was very surprising and yeah it's I, I think I gave it five stars because it was a fair much I was impressed with it mm-hmm. um, and that's on Amazon Prime 
or it was at the time anyway. So um, very good. Very, very good. I think you you have a similar feeling, aren't you? Yeah, cause just the same as you, mate. I'm not a big fan of The Shining, like you as well. Watched it numerous times. Never really done a lot for me. I find it quite boring, really. I'm, it's not. Uh, yeah, Jack Nicholson is good, but apart from that, it's it's no. It, it just never really clicked with me. I only ever seen Doctor Sleep once. Really enjoyed it, uh, but really, really enjoyed it so much so that Tina bought me the extended version on Blu-ray. Which has been one of those that many a time we've brought it downstairs to watch. And then we've watched, ended up watching something else and had it over a year now and still haven't watched it. So I think after you saying that has really spurred me on to write, going to get the Blu-ray down and watch <laughs> this extended version. Now, it reminded me, uh, I got a very sort of 80s horror film vibe from it as well. You, yeah. It really took me back to renting horror films back in the 80s and, and getting that vibe from it which of course i really loved so yeah i, I am looking forward to a rewatch of that definitely and it, even more so because you know you've just said all of that too yeah no it's very cool i'll pass it back over to you uh okay i'll do i'll do three and then that will leave me with three uh i'm going to talk about you know what if i said i'm going to recommend you uh a 1968 historical drama about Henry the Second, mm. and you think, "Fucking hell!" And no, I'm not bothered. Next, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. And yeah, I can see why people would think that. But bear with me. Tina got this. She bought this on Blu-ray. It's one of her favourite films. I'd never seen it, and she put it on. She said, "Right, you'll enjoy this." So we sat down and watched it uh, a few weeks ago. So it's from 1968. It's called The Lion in Winter. It's got, and here's a cast. We talked, didn't we, not too long ago about, you know, what a cast. Here's a cast for you. Peter O'Toole, Catherine Hepburn, Anthony Hopkins, Nigel Terry, a very young Timothy Dalton. Uh, it's set in 1183, and it's King Henry II. He's got three sons who all want to inherit the throne from him, but he won't commit to any of them. And it's it's a drama about... Okay, which son is going to take over the throne from him? And of course, with a cast like that, the acting is just, you know, superb. You know, the sets are really good. The costumes are great. The highlight of it all is the screenplay by James Goldman is, I'd say, the best screenplay ever. <laughs> and I say wow. that, yeah. The, the dialogue in it, the lines of dialogue... I have never seen a film where so often I've gone, fuck me, that was a great line of dialogue. Oh, that was an amazing line. Of, you know, you think of films with great lines of dialogue. I mean, ones that jump to mind. You think of the scene in, in True Romance with Dennis Hopper and Christopher Walken. That exchange between them is, you know, the eggplant one. And I say, oh, oh my God, that's amazing. This, this, you know, there's a lot. Of, obviously, Quentin Tarantino was written, but there's other, there's other dialogue scenes. This is a full film with just incredible lines of dialogue in it. And the way that they're delivered from these amazing actors just makes them even better. But honestly, mate, it's it's hard to convey without, you know, actually sitting down and watching it. And you're thinking, well, this is 1183, Henry II, historical drama. What? 
Oh, it's written. It's written superbly. And yeah, highly recommended. Um, I, I can guarantee people will be watching and you've got, yeah, that was such a great line of dialogue. Oh my God, look, that, that has come out. And there's, and the the different scenes that they go through and they're all playing off against each other because of course these three sons all want, you know, the throne. It's, it, in a way, it's almost like a farce in ways, the way that it's all set up and people hiding behind curtains and everything. It's, re it's really, really good. So there's one that, Probably if you were flicking through Netflix or Amazon or whatever and you go, oh no, next, next, you wouldn't really give it two seconds. But if you do come across The Lion in Winter from 1968, give it a chance. Just give it a chance and see what you think. And then get back to us and let us know. That would be nice. It's it's won loads of awards. Right? It won, won three Oscars. Uh, Best Actress for Catherine Hepburn. Best Writing for James Goldman that you mentioned. Best Music, Original Score. And then it was nominated for various other awards. And then it's won BAFTAs as well. Um, so, ooh, I've never heard of that before. Mm. That's, yeah, that's I, was the, I was the same, mate. And it's like Tina said, you know, it's it's been one of her favourites for a while. Hence why she bought it on Blu-ray. And I'm glad she did. It's Yeah, it's really good. It's one that I will definitely watch again. Uh, 2021 film, Nitram, which is Martin backwards. Uh, this is based on the true events. Uh, leading up to the 1996 uh, Port Arthur massacre in Tasmania. 35 people were killed, 23 others were injured in it. When a young lad called Martin Bryant, hence the name of the, of the film, it's, you know, Nitram, Martin, backwards. Uh, a young man, obviously, with mental health issues. This... I mean, there's, you know, I'm not going to go off on a rant about the Oscars, but this is a performance. Caleb Landry plays Martin. If ever anybody deserved an Oscar, it's him in this. He he portrays Martin. Like I said, you know, he's he's got his issues. He portrays every every emotion that a human can emote. He, he's like anger, sadness, frustration love hate every, everything and he portrays them in such a naturalistic way that you'd almost swear you were watching a documentary there's no you know no oscar bait performance coming from him you buy into everything that he's doing he really loses his shit at time you know he's, he's going through a lot in his mind and, he, you know, he just completely loses the plot. I mean, you'd have to. But the thing is, this is, you know, when he... It, and it's done tastefully because, of course, you know, 35 people lost their lives, 23 people got, got wounded. Uh, they've left families behind. And uh, you want to do it tastefully. You don't, you know, you don't see him go in guns blazing. And, and the shooting is the very end of the film. It's all about the lead-up to that and what he does and what happens in his life that sort of led him in that direction but when just before and he's, he's at this Port Arthur and he's in this cafe and he orders a drink and you see him and he's just like just really calm and he's watching and even in that scene with just facial expressions and sort of inner acting you know he doesn't even need to express it you can see what's what's going through an absolutely brilliant performance um, by Caleb Landry in this very disturbing film when you see what Martin goes through and then when you it's again because it's based on true events you watch it and you go and read and you go okay well how much was true 
and then you read how much of it was true because it's something that happens before he goes and kills all these people and you think did that happen oh yes it did and you think holy shit it, it just it gives you even more chills after you've finished watching it so and i do like films that are based on true events you know even if it's mm -hmm. you know something as horrific as this uh but yeah the, like i said the standout from the line in winter was the screenplay the standout in Nitram is is caleb landry's performance you know mm. give him an oscar for god's sake and the thing and it won't it will you know it'll just get completely overlooked by the academy and nothing will be be given out which is well it's a damn shame really um and just looking at it, he's got Anthony uh, Lepaglia, who uh, plays his dad. I really like him. I think he's a good actor. He's um, in an Australian movie from a few years ago, uh, Lantana. I don't know if you've seen that. Um, it's, it's a really good movie. But I, I, think, I think one of the first films I saw him was So I Married an Axe Murderer with uh, oh, oh God, Mike yeah. Myers. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But um, I yeah that sounds really well sounds really good in like you said in, in as much like you said the subject matter of it is it's a it, tough watch sensitive. yeah yeah it yeah. is a tough watch it's not you know you don't put it on for a fun evening's viewing and it is a pretty hard watching places uh, but gripping it is a really gripping experience all the way through it and like I said with him with an Oscar another film where uh, there's an actress in this who should get an Oscar but again won't I'm, I'm sure. Uh, 2021 is the film, Boiling Point, uh, written and directed by Philip uh, Barantini. He's a Scouse ex-chef, and he's made this, and it's he's, he's written it and he's directed it, and it's about what he knows. Like I said, he's an ex-chef, and it's about a chef played by the always amazing Stephen Graham, and it's in his restaurant, and it just covers the events of an hour and a half in a restaurant. Now, the hook for it is it's all one shot. 90 minutes, one shot. Wow. No no hidden edits. So, you know, I think, was it um, was it Birdman, Michael Keaton? Wasn't it, that was one shot, but there was hidden edits. There's been mm. quite a few films which are touted as one shot, but there's hidden edits in it. This is, by the book, one shot. Now, they, they put aside four evenings to film this and each evening they were going to do two run-throughs you know so two hour and a half run-throughs and they did two nights so they got four run-throughs and then lockdown happened in 2020 so instead of eight full run-throughs to pick from he'd got four so he picked he picked the third one and he said there was they had to do a little bit in post nothing to do with editing it was just edit it was just You'd see a camera shadow or a reflection of the camera in, you know, a mirror or a window, and they just have to just fix that in post. But it's still one shot. And again, you know, Stephen Graham is brilliant in it. Jason Fleming's in it, guest on the show. There's a plug yep. for you. If people haven't listened to the interview I did with Jason Fleming, there's that you can go back and listen to. He's really good in it. The star of this, though, is uh, Vinette Robinson, who plays a chef as well in it what a performance you know when you're watching somebody uh, like i did uh, with caleb landry in nitram and you're thinking fuck me you're good <laughs> you, you know you're you're real and again not in the oscar Beatty overacting oh let's get all dramatic really natural that you buy into everything that they say and you and you're hanging on every word 
and the emotions i mean she gets angry in it and she gets really upset in it and you feel for them for everything that they're going through because you're drawn into them that much you believe in them her in this she is is brilliant and there's bit and there's tension in it because oh there's and, and again because you can relate to it you see it in restaurants and you see well you see it in all over the place but because it's set in a restaurant there's a table and there's and there's this family and there's the guy and his wife and the two kids and the guy in it is oh he's, he's an arsehole he's is rich as fuck and he's you know they pick the wine and he asks for the most expensive bottle on the on the menu but he's a twat to the waitresses he's a real he, he, nasty piece of work and you hate him so every time you're following the waitress to this table you're gripping your seat a little bit tighter because you're thinking, oh, shit, she's going to have to see him. What's he going to do? You've got a table full of American women who are just out on the town. You've got Jason Fleming's character and the woman that he's brought in. And the woman he's brought in is a food critic. And Jason Fleming is really good friends with, with Stephen Graham characters. And they've got a lot of history that's going on. And again, because it's all one shot and you're following the camera around, and for the first few minutes, you go in, oh, yeah, this is clever, isn't it? Because, you know, there's no edits. Within a few minutes, you've forgotten that it's one shot because you are there in the restaurant watching everything going on and everything that's happening. You're thinking, oh, fuck off. You're getting wound up. You're getting happy. You're getting sad with it all. It's it's really good. It's really, really good. And, again, you know, it's in real time. It's just what happens in the restaurant over an hour and a half. But you get so invested in it because of the good acting in it. Yeah, so, yeah. I, I'll, I'll watch that just for Stephen Graham alone because yeah, I think last yeah. time, last thing we watched him in a uh, with was Time um, with Sean Bean, which we both enjoyed, didn't we? Yeah, uh, and he's good. I mean, he's watchable in anything. Oh, isn't gotcha, he? yeah, definitely. Sounds good. Mm. There you go, mate. I'll hand it back to you. I've got three left, but I'll hand it back to you. Um, so I very quickly run through the Scream franchise because similarly to you, I've been going through. Uh, franchises leading up to uh, new movies yeah. uh, being released within that franchise. So we did the Matrix just before Christmas. Went and saw the new Matrix film. Um, it, yeah, it's one of those. The Matrix should have just stopped after the first one, yeah, in my opinion. Yeah. Uh, second one's half a decent movie, but then third one's atrocious. The fourth one, it's just like, does it really need this? Um, didn't do anything for me. Again, I fell asleep. In, through a few oh, sections, which I don't generally do in films, I must admit. So, uh, yeah. So anyway, I'm going through or uh, the Scream franchise, yeah, because uh, I've uh, going to watch the new one on Sunday, um, and so I mean, the original Scream is it, it, it really did change the horror genre for for yeah. a, a, a little while because uh you know the horror genre had become a little bit stale um and it was just i suppose it was the the you know the the the, the, the snappy writing you know the the knowing self-aware uh aspect of you know these are the rules of a horror movie so it's like a horror movie set within a horror movie kind of almost you know there's this this thing uh going on and uh it was cool and it was the opening is really clever it's really well done you know and you forget a little bit that Wes Craven directed it to a certain degree and you know because you always associate Wes Craven with uh Nightmare on Elm Street movies don't you and mm, yeah. and things like that so and then he's his other output you know from um like the hills have eyes and last house on the left and other things but you know 
he moved he moved with the times i think with this film you know and, and, and he actually came up with something different and i think i'm sure he directed new nightmare as well which is a really clever um mm-hmm. freddy krueger movie which again people don't necessarily always talk about because it was towards the end of that franchise um and the new nightmare is is a, again it's like it's commenting on real life but within a film it's it's just it's uh, anyway so scream Really good, really good opening, really strong opening from Drew Barrymore. Second one, uh, a bit more of the same, a bit more daft, you know, but talks, but it does have a commentary on sequels, you know, and, and where they fall within movie uh, franchises, you know, sequel always has to go a bit more over the top. Um, so it's still got that in it. The third one is is stupid, really. I mean, it's, it's almost becomes a bit of a live action scooby-doo movie um there's even bits there's you know the the, the killer ghost faces he, he can imitate everybody's voice so it's like you know there's, you almost lose a little bit of the tension because although it tries to set the tension up because is it the killer or is it ghost face you know because yeah. he can he can pretend he's everybody how the fuck can he pretend he's everybody um but then you know and then even the finale there's there's in the house that it's set there's hidden doors you know it's ridiculous the fourth one which again I think that was, I'm sure that was Wes Craven's last movie that he, yeah, was, he directed. Yeah. Um, it does bring it back a little bit, but it's almost as if at this point in in the series, does it really, is it really warranted? Does it really need it? And also it's, you know, it's one of those films where you sit and watch it, but also you're picking at holes in it as you're watching it. You know, I made a few notes on mm. like, well, why is, why is Dewey sheriff now? <laughs> He wasn't the sheriff in the second or third film, yeah. you know. Uh, he wasn't even connected to the police anymore. You know, where's his limp gone? Yeah. He's had it for three films. That was so it. Where's when, that gone? When we so, were watching it, we were like, he's not limping. What, what's going on? Yeah, they made a big deal out of it in the second and third film. Yeah. They even carried it on to the third film. It's like, you know, he's got this limp. He walks, you know, because he's been stabbed, you know, in the second and third film, he gets attacked. So it's like, well, where's that? Where's that happen? You know, and it, it's almost like, well, they did the really smart thing with the first film, talking about horror movies, you know, and the, the the things that you're not supposed to do in horror films. And yet they do them in in, in the later movies. Like yeah. in the fourth film, there's a scene where that one of the, the, the uh, well, she's a victim. Uh, she's in a car. The car's been damaged. So, you know, she, she and and so instead of phoning the police from the safety of her car, she decides to get out and run, you know, when the killer's outside. <laughs> Why? You know, makes no sense. No. So I'm kind of, I've heard decent things about the new one, but at the same time, I'm also a little bit thinking, oh. mm. <laughs> you know, and I don't know. That's, I was going to ask you this because I know you've been doing it, going through, um, you know, um, series of movies. Yeah. Do you feel when you get round to watching the new one, a little bit burnt out by having gone through the series or do you actually appreciate it more? I don't know. What's your thoughts on that? We've found that we appreciate them a lot more. I mean, like you, we went through the Matrix films. Uh, we went through all of the Planet Planet of the Apes films, starting with, you know, Charlton Heston from the 60s. Did all of those, did the Tim Burton film, did the new trilogy. Um, 
what else have we done? We've we've gone through a lot. Twilight, Tina picked the Twilight franchise. Yes, she we was went... talking about that in the um, <laughs> uh, the, the Fatal Attraction show that you, you made her watch the um, Planet of the Apes, yeah. Apes movies, but then she made you watch the Twilight movies. That was it. That, <laughs> so that was her. Revenge. It all pans out. It yeah, all evens out. It, it does. But we've found we've really enjoyed doing it that way, even if it's so. Like you, the reason that we rewatch the Matrix ones is because. We want to see the new one. But, you know, Planet of the Apes, there's no new Planet of the Apes films. We just wanted to watch them. But it's good because we were finding that we were we were picking up on references that we wouldn't have noticed. You know, if you go, you watch a film and then two, three, four years later, you know, the next one comes out, the sequel. And you might remember little bits and you go, oh, yeah, that was a nod back to that in the first one. But we found there's so many little things that because you're watching them close together... You're going, oh my god! I never noticed that that sort of reference from back then. And there's all these threads that run through them that you didn't necessarily pick up on before. So we've really, really enjoyed doing it like that. I don't think. Well, I think. Well, I'm pretty sure Tina did get burnt out with the Planet of the Apes film. She was fucking fed up with them. Not the not the not the new trilogy, but the original ones. She she didn't really like the well. She loves the first one, but I think after that she doesn't really like them. Yeah, um, but yeah, it was it was it was really good. I I honestly don't think. Now I'm trying to think. Didn't no didn't get burnt out on any of them. Was just really appreciative of picking up on stuff that I'd never picked up on before. Yeah, yeah, I've enjoyed doing it. I think because the thing with Letterboxd as well is that it does. If you look at your statistics, it does say you know franchises almost completed and franchises almost completed so it's almost like a little bit oh i'll watch that yeah yeah (laughs) tick it off a box tick the box and tick it up get rid of it off a list but um yeah so i think i agree with you in terms of the references because you know if you're watching them within relatively short space of time you can Mm. pick up on uh things that you know wouldn't you, you wouldn't necessarily have have noticed have you watched the new matrix film just at all yet Yes, yeah, we watched them. What were your what's your thoughts on it? Yeah, I'm I'm with you, mate. That from now on, if I think, oh yeah, Matrix films, I'll just watch the first one. Uh, the second one, the second one was better than I remembered it being, so that was nice. It was better. I mean, it's a bit of a low bar because I always thought it was shit, you know, especially when compared to the first. But it wasn't as bad. I quite enjoyed it. The third one still bores me. Um, the fourth one, the fourth one was all right. I put it on a par for the way that I enjoy them. I put it on a par with the second one for me. There were some nice touches in it. There were some groany bits in it. There is, actually, because I knew you'd bring it up, there is a vegan alert in it. <coughs> which is Trinity's suit looks like it could be leather, which I disagree with. I always think Trinity's suit is PVC. PVC, yeah, it is, I isn't it? That too. It yeah. doesn't look leather because it, Neo is cloth, she's PVC, and um, Lawrence Fishburne is he's leather. Yeah, as yeah, far no, as I, I know, I, he looks like he's wearing his leather jacket. Whereas it's always, I think it's PVC, definitely. Yeah, it is. So that is wrong. But there's also again, because you've got to have balance because it is in the Matrix. There is also in this a vegan point. There'll have to be accommodation for my pussy. And that is that Neo doesn't like the analyst's cat. Oh, hold on. That wouldn't be right, would it? That would be a vegan alert. Sorry, I got mixed up. 
ignore ignore Mrs. Slocum and her pussy. That that is that is another vegan alert. Yeah, he doesn't like the analyst's cat. I just wanted to listen to Mrs. Slocum. That was that was a Freudian slip there. That's fine. I she uh I think she says pussy really nicely. <laughs> Oh gosh! Uh, one more movie, and then uh, this one—the ne- the last one um, after this—we can talk about it together. Yeah, but just very quickly on the hateful eight. As much as you can talk very quickly about a film that's two hours forty-eight minutes long, um, Tarantino haven't watched this. You know, love you know the sort of nineties Tarantino movies. Um, remember seeing. Uh, Pulp Fiction at the cinema have been blown away by, you know, something I'd never actually seen before, you know, but then I was quite young, I suppose, at the time. So, you know, um, and, you know, Reservoir Dogs and so, and then Jackie Brown and whatever. And there, there, there are, I don't know, with with Tarantino, I think that, that he, he he's a, he clearly loves film, you know, and what he puts up on the screen is with the, you know, it's it comes from a place of, somebody who loves film you know but i think it's the writing and the dialogue that sometimes lets him down and i think he does become quite self-indulgent um i so very quick review of the hateful eight um i love the fact that it's it's, it's got a very small cast i love kurt the fact that kurt russell's in it it's you know walton goggins is in it as well he's brilliant um samuel l jackson's fantastic so and that you know it's quite funny and the thing is with Tarantino, there's there's tension in his movies. Uh, there's comedy. Sometimes you know it, it, it's things that you shouldn't necessarily be laughing at, but you do. Um, there's sporadic uh, violence that just happens very quickly and very sh- uh, sharply. Um, and you know, I like the fact that it is confined to one location pretty much. Uh, you know, there's been comparisons made with the thing because it's all about th- this, these bounty hunters and they've, they're taking uh, Jennifer Jason Lee to uh, this town to be hung. And, you know, th- there's perhaps people within the group that are in league with her gang that want to spring her so that you don't know who to trust. So I, I like all of that. I think it looks amazing. It looks beautiful on the screen. Those are sort of like the plus points, the soundtrack, um, any Morricone as well did the thing, uh, obviously the, you know, the, the, um, Eastwood movies, you know, uh, that you, you, Ben have talked about mm-hmm. before. Um, so there's a lot to admire about it. It's too long though. Yeah. It's, it's too self in it does go down the self-indulgent yeah. route some you know um in places i think tarantino he, even though sometimes he, he's not in a movie he has to shoehorn himself into the film doesn't he some you know mm-hmm. so he narrates a part of this film uh like with uh, django in unchained there's a scene in that which you know again you can say all of the things i've said about that you know you can you can put that in the box with mm-hmm. um Django Unchained and then he has a scene and it's like well that just kind of it takes you out the moment a little bit you know it's it's so enjoyable like I said too long not one I would perhaps go back to and re-watch but what it did do was make me want to play Red Dead Redemption 2 and (laughs) uh, you know so and I'm not a huge fan of Red Dead Redemption but I bought Red Dead Redemption 2. Uh, I know Tina absolutely adores oh, that yeah, game. Yeah. But And I know that the, the initial 
scene or setting or the, the you know the start of the game i think he's set in in a camp and it's like all wintry and snowy um so it, and it did it made me want to play red dead redemption 2 <laughs> so um but i just thought I'd, I'd talk i mentioned it because you know i think i've watched most of if not all of his films now and i think it's one of those that i think i have to be in a certain going from when i was younger to having to watch you know, every Tarantino movie, even now, when when a Tarantino movie comes out, it's still an event, you know, because it's, yeah, it's yeah. a Tarantino movie. Yeah. But I think I'm less enthusiastic to watch his films than I was when I was younger, mm. um, you know. And I, so, and I think, yeah, there's, there's, there is definitely an indulgence there. Um, but then saying that, I loved Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I thought that was superb, yeah. really, really good. Um, uh, but then I, I don't know if I don't think he inserts himself into that film, uh, so to speak. <laughs> um, so, but no, anyway, there you go. And and you can understand why people want to work with him, you know, because you know, he, and and Sam Jackson has just since he's become part of his, you know, f- uh, um, lexicon, whatever you want to call it, of 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 his movies, he's always entertaining. Oh, always God, what Sam yeah. Jackson. Yeah. But yeah, I think you've seen Hateful Eight, haven't you? Yeah, it was, it was okay. Like you, there's Tarantino films I'd rather watch above that, and I didn't get bored watching it. But I was like, oh, okay, I'd rather watch, you know, Pulp Fiction or you know some of the other ones. And again, like you, I'm not as enthused. Oh yeah, there's a new Tarantino film out. I will watch it, obviously. You know, whatever he makes, I'll watch. But I'm not as enthusiastic about it as I once was. Which is interesting that you said, you know, similar to. Yeah, it's like, you know, uh, another one of the films I like from the 90s, um, which stars George Clooney, uh, which we'll be talking about later on, is uh, From Dust Till Dawn. I love that film. I think it's great. It's good fun, you know. Um, But And he's in that and he plays a weirdo and that suits him perfectly, you know. (laughs) But that film suits him being in it because... Uh, but then I don't necessarily believe that, you know, if he can disassociate himself from his movies to a certain degree into, you know, but still make films, if that makes sense, not necessarily be in them, narrate them, just make the film, then I'd be more on board with that. But yeah, I do think he tends to go up his own arse a little bit, but then I suppose (laughs) he's entitled to. Well, yeah, yeah, of course he can. I think he's, you know, he's deserved uh, the right to do that now. Um, shall I do these three? You said you've got one more that we both yes. watched. Okay, I'll do these. I'll rattle off these three. French film, 2021. It's called Oxygen. Uh, it's it's quite simplistic. It's about a woman. She wakes up in what is essentially a high-tech coffin. Uh, she discovers that it's uh, a cryogenic unit, and she talks to... The computer in there, it's called MILO, which is an acronym. It stands for Medical Interface Liaison Officer. And she wakes up and she doesn't know who she is, where she is, what's going on. What am I doing in here? So it's like, it's you know, it is just a little bit big in the coffin, but it's all very high tech. There's screens and buttons and flashing lights everywhere. And there's only 30% oxygen left, which is not a good thing. Um, because she's got no memory of herself she has occasional flashbacks. And these these are the only parts of the film where you see outside of the coffin, as it were. 
so you see little little tasters of what you think or she thinks is her is her past she's got a husband and they've got this life and is she a scientist and ooh what's what's going on and all the time the oxygen is ticking down and ticking down and whenever she has one of these flashbacks she sort of you know she's out of it and she comes to oh shit the oxygen has gone down by about another six or seven percent very quickly i've got even less time to try and figure out what's going on so if you've seen you know the ryan reynolds film buried where it's all virtually in a coffin there's a few films like that uh, it's it's very cleverly done that you don't get bored it's it's well directed it's well acted considering you know it's it's virtually just a one-hander it's just her and this disembodied voice of milo and she's trying to figure out what's going on and again it's one of those films and i wanted to know what's going on i couldn't figure it out i didn't know 10 minutes into it how it was going to end i got no idea and it keeps feeding you little bits of information as it goes on and with each little bit of information you think you've got the answer and then you haven't and you're sort of back to square one so you're with her in this confined space trying to work everything out i would advise that if if you are going to watch it watch it at night in the dark and if you've got a surround sound system it's got an amazing, amazing soundscape to it. It really, it, it makes you feel, don't watch it if you're claustrophobic, I guess, uh, because it, it does put you into her situation. There's a really good use of sound in it. So I would recommend watch it in the dark with surround sound. That's good. Uh, mm. the, the director for that, um, Alexandra RJ, I think it is, uh, he's made some interesting movies. Um I've not seen this, but I've heard it's really good. Switchblade Romance. Uh, mm. Then he did the Hills of Eyes remake, which uh, go back to Wes Craven, which yeah. I have seen. I do quite like. Um, Mirrors with Kiefer Sutherland was a bit forget- forgettable. But then he did Piranha 3D. <laughs> Bloody hell. <laughs> good film, that film. That's a good silly the- film. Yeah. It's what, sorry? Good silly film, that is. Yeah, it is. I quite enjoyed it. And it's got Kelly Brook in it, in yeah. a bikini. So, yeah. you know. Um, but no, there's uh, you know, uh, my abiding memory of that film. Christopher Lloyd, who, again, we'll talk yeah. about in a bit. Um, but uh, is because it was a 3D film when the height of 3D was, yeah. you know, yeah, back in the cinemas. Yeah. Um, there was, and I saw it in the cinema, uh, was where I think it, it's um, Jerry O'Connell gets his knob bitten off um and it sort of sinks in the yes it's floating down <laughs> and it's in your face so it's like i don't want to see this penis um oh no well like i said he made he's made some interesting movies yeah, this is good uh, and i lied sorry i've still got three to talk Ooh. about i got four they're all from 2021 next one pig starring nick cage Ooh, I've heard nick, about this. oh yeah. now of course Nick Cage, amazing actor. He can go from Crazy Cage in the wild and wonderful films. He can, you know, he's an Oscar winner. He, you know, he is genuinely a really good actor. This is where he puts on his acting pants, and he plays, uh, a, 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 you know, a rough and ready truffle hunter. And he's got a, a pig, a pet pig that searches for truffles. And he's out in the wilderness, and he's all by himself. Uh, it's in Oregon, and his pig gets kidnapped. And he's not happy about this, and he has to go into Portland, into the into the big city, to try and rescue his pig. And it's not like Babe Two, Pig in the City. It's nothing like <laughs> that. It's not as you think it might be. You might think it's going to turn into an action film, a la John Wick, 
And, you know, John Wick wants revenge because somebody killed his dog. And isn't it Cage? Somebody's kidnapped his pig and he's going to kick ass. Uh, and he doesn't. It's a very thoughtful way that he goes about it. And again, it was one that I didn't know how it was going to end. And it's an amazing performance by Nick Cage, a restrained, amazing performance by Nick Cage. And it's and it's well worth watching. And that doesn't go off in directions that you think it's going to go. So Pig is, is well worth it. A Brazilian film. Here's a chat. I don't think I've ever recommended a Brazilian film. Seven Prisoners. Uh, it's a group of lads. They leave their family homes in the rural area of Brazil. They go into the big city on the promise of making some big money, uh, doing a real job. And they they get brought in and they go, OK, here's your accommodation and we're going to feed you. And they have to work. And it's a scrap metal joint and they're stripping down cars and metal that's been brought in from the city. Uh, they don't realise that they have been human trafficked and they're trapped there with no escape. And it's a really good story. Uh, well, highlighting, obviously, human trafficking. But it's a really good story of what would you do if you, if there's certain situations? What What will it take to change you, to change your morals, your ideals? the way that you think, what would it take to do that? And it's really interesting that the way that this one specific character has to change who he is to not only to survive, but to thrive in this, uh, in, in this horrible world that he's been transplanted into. And it's, it, yeah, it, it's, again, it's shocking. It's a bit of a rough watch at time, but it's really good. Um, that's Seven Prisoners. And so my final one, I've saved my... And the, all of them that I've picked, like I said at the beginning, I've cherry-picked these. I do recommend all of them. But if you are only going to watch one that I've recommended, I'd recommend this one. And it's called Old Henry. It's set in 1906. It's the, it's the fading days of the Old West. And there's a farmer and his son, and they live on a remote farm. And they're just going about the business. And they find... An unconscious man, he's been shot, he's lying on the floor. And Henry, the dad, he sees a satchel pretty close to this guy, full of money. And he thinks, oh, okay. So, you know, he puts the guy on his horse. He's a good man. And he grabs the satchel and they go to the farmhouse and Henry salts away the satchel so his son doesn't see it. And they put the man on the bed and they take care of him. But then these three lawmen appear on horseback and they're saying that they're chasing this guy who stole a load of money that's in a satchel, and they want him. And things kick off. Uh, when you think of westerns, we did watch oh, the Netflix film The Harder They Fall, which I didn't like at all. I thought it was complete style over substance. The sets looked horribly fake. The actors looked like they were wearing costumes instead of being authentic. I mean, probably it was, to, you know, it was that was meant to be. Stylistically, that's what the filmmakers were going for. There was music thrown in. There was never a dramatic moment could take place without it being accompanied by a fucking song. It just got me, everything about it just got my back up the wrong way. Old Henry is the complete opposite from the characters looking the part, facially, costumes, the settings, the locations, the the dialogue, the acting. There is this 
it's a western, so there is some shooting in it, but it's not like oh, there's all gunfights going on. There's not. It's a it's a very heavy character driven piece that again some people could watch and go, oh, I'm a bit bored of this. I'm going to turn it off. Stick with it <laughs> because there is a really good gunfight at the end, but it's all about the characters and the story and the payoff at the end is amazing. And me and Tina sat there and went, fucking hell. <laughs> I was like, what? You were kidding me. It's an awesome ending to it. But for me, it's all about the characters and the story that they go through. I was just drawn into it. And it, and it is, again, I'm warning people, it's a slow burner, but it's awesome. If, if you love... If you love westerns, this is something a bit different. So yeah, Old Henry definitely recommended. Mm, yeah, sounds and, good. Uh, this is definitely one though. I mean, all of them. You know, I've said a few times, haven't I? Oh, I don't want to give too much away. Don't read up on anything. Trust me on this one. Don't go. Oh, Old Henry. I'll have a read about that because there will be massive spoilers that will spoil it. So don't just trust me and 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 watch it. Um, which goes for most of them, I guess. But this one has got really... It it wouldn't have had the impact if with certain things if we'd have known beforehand. So, yeah, just trust me on this one. Sounds good. I, um, I can't remember what... I think it was at The Matrix. I watched that at the cinema, and there was a trailer for Nick Cage's new film, which is called The Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent. <laughs> it and great, I don't know if you've seen it? the trailer for this. I know you don't generally watch trailers, but... I've seen just that one, me, yeah. Have you seen it? Yeah. The general synopsis is a cash-strapped, because he plays himself, a cash-strapped Nicolas Cage agrees to make a paid appearance at a billionaire superfan's birthday party, but he's really an informant for the CIA since the billionaire fan is a drug kingpin and gets cast in a Tarantino movie. It's like, it sounds and looks mental, um, you know, and that's going to be Nick Cage turned up to 11, I think. Have you seen the trailer for, I'll just throw this one out just as a quickie, um, the trailer for the Foo Fighters film called, I think it's something like Studio 666. No. Watch the trailer. Right? When, when we finish doing this, sit and watch the trailer. And everybody listening to this, if you haven't watched it yet, watch it. It is, at the moment, apart from obviously Samaritan, the Sylvester Stallone, um, you know, superhero film. Apart from that, because it's sly. It is my most anticipated film after watching the trailer for it. It looks fucking awesome. Yeah. Uh, just just go and watch it, people, and then thank me later because it looks amazing. Just, just my type of stupid, ridiculous film going on. Tongue very much in cheek. Awesome. Um, yeah, I've never heard good. of that, So, but yeah. I've just looked at the, the poster. It looks cool. Yeah, yeah. There you go, mate. So that's, that's my film's done. Awesome. Well, just uh, so <clears throat> my last movie then, and I know you've watched this, uh, just uh, talk a little bit about it is No Time to Die. Um, yes. The last uh, Daniel Craig movie that he did as Bond. I'm not going to get into any spoilers. It's been out for a while now, but, you know, I'm sure people have seen it, but I'm still not going to talk about any spoilers in particular. But mm. just talk about Daniel Craig as Bond um, throughout his run. I, looking at it now as this is his final movie, and I, I am glad that he stepped back into uh, into the role because there was at one point he wasn't going to do another one after Spectre. Mm -hmm. um, I am really pleased that he did. Uh, and looking at his movies as a whole, because they are 
you know, you can watch them as standalone films, but they all are they are all linked or and connected yeah. in some way. Yeah. Um, and I don't think I've ever seen. Uh, I mean, there's there's been links to Bond movies in the past whereby, you know, you'll get same actors and and whatever appear like different same M's and all that. But and and there will be references to the fact that. Uh, Bond was married before, uh, you know, that'll, that'll carry on. I mean, so that was um, on a Majesty's Secret Service where he got married and then that carried on into the Roger Moore movies after that, you know, and they referenced the fact that he, you know, he'd been married before. So, but this, you know, contains actors that have been in the movies throughout. Um, and I just want to, I suppose, appreciate, you know, him as Bond, Um I grew up with the Roger Moore movies, so I love them. Looking back at them, they're cheesy, you know, but they're still watchable and fun. Um, never, I mean, people always argue who's the best Bond. I, I appreciate Sean Connery as, as Bond, but Roger Moore was always my Bond growing up. And then Timothy Dalton came along, and Timothy Dalton is great. And it's a shame that he didn't get a chance to make more move, movies. Pierce yeah. Brosnan's okay in the role. I like Goldeneye, but then I think after that, you know, he's Bond movies are fairly forgettable yeah. um to be honest with you and then daniel craig steps into role if you think go, think back to it you know there's a fair bit of uh you know clamor people moaning about oh my god you know um how can he be bond i think there was when he actually uh, uh he was on a boat and he got his life jacket on and he got floppy hair and he just didn't look the mm-hmm. part particularly yeah. and then when casino royale came out and he just looked you know buff as fuck didn't he yeah. and um he changed physically, looked the part, and he was really good. Um, Quantum of Solace, not a huge fan of, but I think if you watch Casino Royale, Quantum of Solace is maybe a two-part, so then it's a little bit better, but it's still not great. Uh, I think a lot of the fight scenes in that, he tried to replicate Bourne, uh, and it didn't do it very well. So, mm. you know, you can't necessarily see what's going on when, they're, when that, there's fight. that was That was my big argument with that. The editing was abysmal in that. Yeah. Um, and then um, Skyfall, generally people, you know, love that movie and lauded as one of the best Bond movies. Really enjoyable. I enjoyed it. Spectre, yeah, went to the well a little bit. I think mm. maybe different director, Sam uh, Mendes returned for that one. It was okay, but it wasn't amazing. And then um, I didn't know, going into No Time to Die, I, I, I just, I didn't really know what to expect from it because it's one of those films that was delayed because of Mm. COVID and it was delayed again. And then it was, you know, it came out finally. And, um, I really, really enjoyed it. I actually saw it twice at the cinema. I saw it, um, with Kay and then I took my mom to watch it. Uh, I bought it my mom for, uh, for Christmas on DVD, uh, cause she really enjoyed it. And I can honestly say this about a Bond film that I've never, shed a tear watching a bond film mm. you know um and the, it's it's emotional yeah, you know there, yeah. there's it's just a really good film it's got some good action scenes in it um it is quite long uh i mean it's nearly three hours long but so you could you can throw that as a, as a criticism particular but i loved it i thought it was really good um you know there's people will moan at uh, some certain elements of it, I guess, you know, argue, you know, oh, is it going 
to PC or whatever. And I don't believe that necessarily. Mm. I think they trod a fine line with it. And I think it worked um, with what, what they did. I think the writing's good. Um, you know, uh, mentioned before that, um, was it Phoebe? I've forgotten the name. Waller. Bridge Waller, is it? Mm. Um, came in and did a bit of work on it. Um, you could argue Rami Malek, he's a little bit weak as the villain, but yeah. I, again, on rewatch, I thought, you know, he does a decent job with, with it. The opening scene in it, I think he's, he's really good, you know, puts you on edge. Um, you know, not your typical opening for a Bond movie, but mm-hmm. then it does, it's kind of like, it's it's almost like a mini movie before the film starts. Yeah, um, I, yeah, I thought it was great. And, 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 you know, I think having now this is the 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 full stop after you know and and craig is is not returning to do any more bond movies looking forward to a new beginning but also just want to appreciate him as bond now and i think he's probably my favorite bond um Mm -hmm. out of all of them he's he's just great in the role really really good um and he'll i think he'll go down in history as 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 one of the best bonds uh you know it's funny you should say that because like you, Roger Moore is my Bond. I grew up watching him. I watched Live and Let Die at the cinema. That was the first Bond film I saw at the cinema. And I watched every Roger Moore film, every Roger Moore Bond film at the cinema. So I grew up with him. You know, he's my Bond. You know, I know how cheesy and nudge, nudge, wink, wink, and almost, you know, carry on Bond it got at stages with it all. But like you, after these five bond films with daniel craig he's now my favorite bond as well definitely i th- I think he's done and everybody involved has done an amazing job with it um they're gonna have a tough time how they're gonna go forward i've got no idea i'm looking forward to the new ones like you are but and again like you i think history will look back and go yeah daniel craig what a fucking awesome bond and he's yeah he is my favorite as we talk now you know, maybe the next one might even surpass this. I don't know, but it's really... And I loved how all five films have just got that that big arc that go through them, and then it just ends. It's got, you know, it's got a good ending to it. And it's go yeah, that that was... And if you remember, it begins where he hasn't... He hasn't he's not even a double O agent. Mm. <laughs> it starts, you know, it, it's a full story arc for him. And I think that was... Whether that was the decision when they started with him at Casino Royale, I've got no idea whether it was by luck or judgment, but thankfully the way that it went was like that. So yeah, amazing Bond, mate. Really, really mm. good. Who who would you put forward for your uh, next Bond? Um, I don't cause... know. I mean, the bookmakers. I did have, because like you said, at the end of Spectre, well, before Spectre was even made, they said, well, Daniel Craig said, this is probably my last Bond. I, I did have... I had um, I had a pound at seventeen to one, and so that was whenever before Spectre was made, and Henry Cavill being the next Bond, and I know he's still up there in the favourites, but I think it's too it's too big, you know, physically he's too big for the role. I I think you know he could he could slim himself down maybe for the role. Um, I don't know. I don't know where they're going to go. What they're going to look for. And they're going to have to go to, I think, like another, like they did with Daniel Craig. They they made a whole new Bond universe, didn't they? You know, it's separate. It's the same character, but it's in a different sort of universe. Um, I think they're going to have to do that, again, without giving any spoilers away, 
because of things that have transpired, that they're going to have to sort of do a really a proper reboot of things. So in one way, it opens up that they could do whatever. But I, I don't know, mate. I don't know. I'm just going to trust the filmmakers and hope that they do it right. And like you said, you know, the the press and, and the, a lot of the general public were going, fucking Daniel Craig. Oh, shit. Shit. He hadn't even filmed a scene. And people mm. are going, oh, shit. He's going to be shit. You've been proved wrong. You know what I mean? So just just be quiet until they actually make it. When they announce whoever it is, just be quiet until they make it and then judge the film for the film. That'll, yeah. that'll be good. Yeah, definitely. I mean, um, so after watching Night Manager, I thought Tom Hiddleston would make a really good uh, Bond. Um, you know, he, he'd be good. But Tom Hardy is the current fav- one of the favourites, yeah, I think. I don't... I don't know if I... I can't... I, yeah, I, I can't see. I, again, he, he could surprise me. But from the off, I think... I don't know. I don't know. I think of him too much as Bane or the Venom movies and all of that. That'd be kind yeah. of cool. If Bond had got some creature inside him, that'd be a nice twist. Uh, <laughs> but I don't know. Whoever whoever they go with, I'm gonna I'm gonna go with. If even you know if it is say if it is him, and I'm going, oh, I don't know. I can't see him, but yeah, go on, make it, and let's have a look. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. One thing, yeah. now I did, I did, and well, that's all the films done. My God. And that was with us paring it all down, mate, as well. Imagine if we hadn't, Jesus. Um, I did remember to press the theme tune button. What I didn't do before we recorded was go, what film do you want to talk about first in the double dips? <laughs> so which which film would you like to address first, mate? And then, because I have the trailers all, all queued up. Should we go with the one that was released first? So we'll go to 1986. Okay. We shall do that one then. So we shall be we shall be back in a few minutes and uh, travel back to the eighties. And now preview time. When it comes to entertainment, you can't beat a good film. So let's take a look at what's coming your way. Webster is taking off for L.A. He lives to thrash. He loves to compete. But the competition is a killer. Check it out. It's hooking the dagger. The music of the Bengals, Animotion, Devo, Meatloaf, the Red Hot Chili Peppers, Thrashing. Well, what do you thrash? What do you got? You'd like to be held like that? Yeah, I'd love it. Right, Valley Boy? 
and uphill romance. Of course, please don't go. To a downhill race. It's not a kid's game anymore. So there you go. That was the trailer for Thrashing from 1986. Uh, starring Josh Brolin. That's probably the main person that you'll know. Sherilyn Fenn pops up as well. Um, mm. One of her first roles. Um, Robert Rustler. Now, I recognize him he plays a character called tommy hook uh he's the the lead gang member from the daggers um and i was thinking where the frig have i seen him before he's one of the arseholes in weird science uh it's him <laughs> and robert downey jr that uh that tease and and play up the you know the the two main um people in weird science so yeah. that's where i recognize him from he's also in um one of the uh, nightmare on elm street movies as well uh, nightmare on elm street two um yes so there you go that's where i recognized him from but um but yeah thrashing um it's got a 6.6 .6 out of 10 on imdb which is quite good yeah. um four thousand two hundred uh ratings uh the synopsis is two skateboarding gangs battle each other for supremacy and a member of one gang falls in love with the sister of his rival uh a metacritic it's got a score of 54 but then there's only four re critical reviews uh, one positive three mixed uh the positive one josh brolin and robert rustler star in this 1980s era guilty pleasure that reimagines romeo and juliet as a war between rival skateboard gangs yes there used to be such a thing uh, and then one of the negative reviews as his tv guide um while not very original or even very skillful thrashing a skateboarding term for aggressive gutsy skating isn't nearly as bad as it sounds oh, it's actually not that bad hmm. um so there you go. Now you picked this. Yes. Um, why did you pick this? And why didn't you save it for, let's say, the decade of decadence? Because it's it's very eighties. That's fair to it, say. Yeah, it is inc incredibly eighties. From the music to the fashion to the hairstyles, to ev everything about it is so eighties. I don't know. I thought we'd do an eighties one for a change, uh, something a little bit different. Because uh, I, I think I said a few shows ago way back in the early days of last year was uh, because I've been picking quite a lot of new films and then oh, I'll make a point of picking something that's not new and I thought yeah let's pick 80s one never seen it which is obviously you know one of the caveats of double dip films neither of us have ever seen it was on Amazon got just Brolin in it it got one of the Lost Boys in it I thought oh that's interesting because I haven't seen him or can't remember seeing him uh, in anything before and it looked it looked kind of fun i had a quick scan at the rating it had got on letterboxd and it wasn't awful so yeah let's let's give it a go so that's why i picked it um so what do what did you think of it then i enjoyed it i did enjoy it in a very in a very 80s way i've got to say the first thing that struck and another reason i picked it which is a very silly immature thing i will admit no but nothing new there 
is it was the title as well because it reminded me and there's 11 years between us two mate so i went to school in the 70s you know your school years were predominantly the 80s but when i was at school and i want to know if this is the case for you and uh, you know everybody listening too an adult art magazine shall we call them <laughs> was was called a thrash mag when i was at school oh. so i saw thrash and immediately thrash mags come come to mind was was that a thing you know because you know there's the age difference and you live in a different part of the uk to me is is that a new term to you or have you heard thrash mags before no um you know no i'm trying to think of the term that we would use um why is that is that because you're sort of thrashing away masturbating i I presume so i would because i thought why were they called thrash mags? Because there was, there was. It got me thinking then of terminology from the time. There was no, there was no such thing as condoms then. I mean, not as we were using them anyway. We we're in school, but they were, they were called nodders. <laughs> it's like, where did that come from? Why were they called nodders? What happened to that word? What happens to all these words that, when we're kids, that they used to, and for years and years they were called that, and then suddenly they became condoms. And Johnny's. So, yeah, so there's another one that I think it, that was the progression from nodders to Johnny's to condoms, and then I don't know how it went thrash mags, but yeah, it was just that that weird way that my mind works, and I saw thrashing, and then my train of thought went off to porn mags, and yeah, well, I'll pick this, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, and it's it's a really good uh, quality picture quality version on Amazon too. I've got to say. Because sometimes films like this are just awful. And this is a really good film quality. And the director, so the director, David Winters, not only was he in the stage version of um, West Side Story, he was also in the original film because it's been remade, you know, Steven Spielberg's version now. Mm-hmm. He was in he was in there. But I was looking uh, because he's got like a shit ton of credits as a producer. So I was looking, oh, what, is that, what else has he done as a, as a director? Oh, my God. God, there will be some stuff coming on the Decade of Decadence shows from this director because in the same year, he released Mission Kill. Uh, then the year after, there was Rage to Kill, Codename Vengeance. Look like, you know, the kind of fucking awful action films that me and Tom eat up. He did Space Mutiny, which looks like a fucking awful action film, but in space. And there was like Rage to Kill has got one of the best character names in it ever. Because it says, race car driver, Blaine Stryker. <laughs> you can tell it's the 80s when you've got a character called Blaine Stryker. Well, actually, oh that God. reminds me of BL Stryker. I'm sure that was, uh, that was oh, yeah. um, what's his name? Um, mentioned him earlier. Burt Reynolds, wasn't it? Yes, Stryker. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, there's a number of reasons why I picked it. I did, I did have a skateboard. I had a skateboard. I was ahead of the curve, mate. I had a skateboard in the... Oh, this was 86 it's probably 76 when i had a skateboard it was a really cheap sort of shitty wooden thing that had got on the top of it was it was almost like fine grade sandpaper was put on the top of it so you wouldn't slip the wheels were like rock hard plastic and there was a steep hill near where i used to live and a few of us had got skateboards and would go on this on this hill. And it was a tarmac road, but it wasn't smooth tarmac. It was really bobbly. And remember, the skateboards were fucking awful. And we got no protective gear, no like arm pads or helmets or knee pads or anything. And we'd go flying down this hill at great speed. How we didn't kill ourselves, 
I, I've got no, no idea whatsoever. So when it comes to the climax of this and the racing, yeah, I can relate to that. Yeah, yeah, I've done that. I could beat them, <laughs> I thought. But it's so, so predictable, mate, this, this film. I said earlier, didn't I, with films, you watch, you watch the first 10 minutes of this, you know exactly what's going to happen. Exactly is what is going to happen all the way, all the way through. You know, who's going to meet who? Who's going to fall in love with who? Who's going to fight who? How the fights are going to end up? You know it all, but it's all... It's still just ridiculous fun. It's, it's got the worst... The worst bad guys I've seen for a long time. The daggers. The, who... They're just immature fucking dicks, aren't they, really? They live in the house, and there's all the graffiti oh oh the skateboarding bad guys let's paint the house up with all this graffiti and they've stencils of daggers everywhere this yeah, they're living in a shithole it's, it's an absolute anything that can be spray painted graffiti on has been spray painted graffiti on but then you look if you're looking and there's like skulls and there's all you know everything everywhere bats also, yeah they're the daggers but then you'll see that I noticed in one scene in the windowsill there's like you had when you were a kid you know a little toy um cowboy gun in a little fancy leather colorful holster there's one of those in the window and uh, you see them a few times and they're just jumping on each other on the couch and doing air guitar uh, of which the leader does some terrible air guitar and then someone goes, yeah, Gene Simmons, after he's finished <laughs> doing it, which I picked up on. And, and you're thinking, you're, you're not, you're, you are terrible, terrible bad guys in this. Uh, I, I do think, I think Josh Brolin's really good in it. I do I do like him in this. Uh, but it is, very, it is so predictable, mate. It is so predictable. Mm. Uh, so there tends to be when whenever there's a, the, the latest craze there's always a movie about it isn't yeah. there so yeah. going back to BMX Bandits which you know Adam and I talked about uh, for one of our Spotlight Reflection movie shows um, and then you, you've got this uh, Gleaming the Cube which I've never seen but I remember seeing trailers for uh, when breakdancing was a thing you got mm. breaking which yeah. they even referenced in this movie you know that yeah. breakdancing's kind of like you know Passe, you know, it's it's over with, and skateboards have actually taken over from break uh, break dancing. Um, so there are always movies that you know fit the craze, uh, like free running or whatever. Uh, you know, there, there was a spate of free running movies, wasn't there? And yeah. things. So you know, I I enjoyed it. Now it, it's um, it's fun, it's enjoyable, it's it's almost like an extended, you know music video in a lot of ways there's there's you know not there's a bit of acting and stuff like that like you said there's this build and i did uh, before i read that um review uh or short review of it you know i did think oh this is like romeo and juliet but mm. with skateboards um you know and so but there, there is some acting and there's some there's a little bit of tension you know and and, and all, all this but a lot of the time there is just like music playing and people skateboarding, which, you know, that's mm. too expected, isn't it? It's all yeah. about skateboard. You know, one of the things that I thought was hilarious and, and the, the soundtrack is decent. There's some decent music. Yeah, yeah, and let's yeah. just say, you know, from uh, the start, because um, of the news today that Meatloaf has passed away, mm-hmm. uh, he sings the lead song, you know, the title song, doesn't he? Thrashing. Yeah. 
Um, you know, you got artists like Devo, the Bangles, the Chili Peppers even pop up on it, which are actually playing in the movie. Um, you know, so th- there's some decent stuff in there. Not necessarily the the song to the sex scene, but we'll, we'll get get to that. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, you know, I I because Josh Bro- Josh Brolin and his group of friends they're sort of like the clean cut you know they, they're mm. colorful they wear neon clothes you know they they don't get in anybody's faces and then you say you've got the daggers and they all wear leather jackets or denim jackets and they've got earrings and they're a bit dirty and a bit you know naughty or whatever they don't do anything like they don't commit crime do they <laughs> you summed it up perfectly there because that is, was my exact description of them oh they're a bit naughty if they <laughs> They think they're this really oh yeah we're we're evil hard man we're the daggers. No, you're just naughty boys. That's they all you are. They're, they're too old. I mean, they, he, like, they 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 look too old. I mean, Josh Brolin can, you know, he can pull it off because this was his one of his movies after he did Goonies. Yeah. So he still looks young. He still looks like a kid. Whereas, you know, the lead guy, uh, like I mentioned, Robert Rustler. He looks like he's in his twenties or something, um, and so, and it's all you know. Like I said, Josh Brolin he meets up with uh, Chrissy, the the sister of uh, Tommy, and so and and when Tommy finds out that they've been going out, he doesn't like it, and yeah. there's this rivalry, and then you know the whole thing is leading up to this downhill skate at the end, and there's a bit of tension. You know, Chrissy leaves and then uh, decides to come back, and she's like. 400 miles away in you know on by bus she's she's gone you know isn't she's you see her because you see her hitchhiking it's like the sign says like 368 yeah. miles to los angeles oh, fucking hell it's gonna take you ages hitchhiking all that way um so, but yeah i enjoyed it i like the soundtrack i like you know it's daft it really is Mm. daft but then you know you get to see some cool skateboard i never had a skateboard when i was a kid um after watching spaced going back to that because tim uh simon Pegg's character actually he's a middle-aged man essentially you know he's i think he's in his late 20s um and he you know he's got a skateboard so (laughs) when i probably about i don't know 15 years ago i decided to buy a skateboard (laughs) and um and i can't i've got no balance um i've snowboarded and Mm. and i've got no balance i fell over a lot so but skateboarding so if you imagine Kay, my wife she wasn't my wife at the time but me trying to learn how to skateboard and her pulling me around Like, you know, <laughs> instead of me actually, do, you know, sort of like kicking off and doing all that kind of stuff, I'd just be holding her hand and she'd be pulling me around. Um, so, <laughs> but no, I liked, I liked the ending. I liked, you know, spoiler, oh, it's an old film, but spoiler, it's got a happy ending, you know, and it all works out in the end. And, I, I, you know, I, I would thought that this was aimed at kids because there's no real swearing in it not that mm. i picked up on there's certainly no fuck you know um there, there may have been a shit but i didn't notice it put it like that yeah um so it kind of you know it's aimed at kids in my opinion uh but then saying that the, the tagline for it um oh i've lost it now um i'll come back to it but it, it's kind of like the suggestion it's not necessarily aimed at kids but you know it have been kids like 
riding skateboards. Yeah. Uh, oh, there we go. It's not a kid's game anymore. That's the tagline. Mm. So, but there's, you say, there's no real violence in it. There's no sex. Uh, oh, sorry, there's no swearing. But then there's this really kind of out of place sex scene in it, which is just <laughs> like soft core porn that, that you'd see in the, the Red Shoe Diaries or something. <laughs> yeah, they're so, sweaty. Yeah. They, you know, she's riding him. You know, there's soft, slow kissing. There's, you know, she's grabbing him from behind and all sorts. So this is out of place. It was I weird. Expect- it was weird. And, and there was a fucking awful song playing while the shagging. <laughs> Oh my god! It was it was terrible. It was the worst song of the film that was in it. It was just awful. It was um, it was it was really bad. It was it was very soppy. But no, I I I did enjoy it. Um, yeah. Like I said in a in a kind of curiosity yeah. uh, from an, an eighties movie that I've never actually seen before. So yeah, um, in 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 the you know boy meets girl, ball boy falls in love with girl, girl's brother doesn't like boy. And so, boy has a fight with girl's brother. All ends up well in the end. It, when you were saying about the when she buggers off and you see and she's on the bus and she gets off the bus and it's like hundreds of miles away and she makes her way back. It was at this point because we knew how it was going to end. Me and Tina were saying we knew exactly how it was going to end. We were saying, wouldn't it be awesome if it did? You know how? And you mentioned just till dawn earlier. You know how that just left turn halfway through, and it suddenly goes, whoa! It's a crazy horror film. I'd have loved it. Because I said to Tina, I said, wouldn't it be great now? Because she's hitchhiking. And uh, I said, wouldn't it be great if if a truck driver picks her up and horrifically murders her? (laughs) It it takes a really, really strange turn. And then it goes and it goes because, you know, um, Josh Brolin and and the bad guy, the leader of the daggers, they obviously have to have this skateboard race. Wouldn't it be awesome, like, if, if Josh Brolin crashes... And he's paralysed from the from the waist down, and he can never skateboard again. So she's she's been mutilated by a truck driver, and he's you know he's he's paralysed. And then we were laughing because a truck driver picks her up from the road, and I was going, "Yes, she's going to get murdered." Yeah, but he's like this happen. She even flash, flashes a bit of leg, doesn't she? Does. she to try and get picked up. She does. And um, I had a look, actually. It's pa- it's Pamela Gidley is the actress. She died in 2018, aged only 52. Um, yep. And she was in, because she was in Cherry 2000, which I love that film. Me and Tom have talked about it. And, and me and Tom, have uh, we did an interview show with the director, Steve Tijana. Uh, again, plugging the show, if you want to listen to that. It's also on YouTube. You can watch us talk to him. But she was also in a film. And here's what, this is one that I really do want to rewatch because my memories of it, you know, like you and Adam with the Spotlight Reflection shows, watching films from years ago, are they as good as you sort of remember them? She was in a film in 1991 called Highway to Hell. And I remember loving that film. I wa- The only reason I watched it at the time was because Lita Ford is in it. And I've, mm. got, a th- I've got a thing for Lita Ford. And, and that thing is my penis. And, <laughs> and I, just, I just really remember loving Highway to Hell. And I haven't seen it. Oh, I don't know. 25 years since I've last watched it and I'd love to re-watch it but also hate in case it's shit I watch it now and think oh dear it's a bit pants now but mm. that is that is one I do want to re-watch is Highway to Hell yeah I I noticed that as well because I looked at the cast uh, the people I didn't know and like re- you know uh, realised that she died I was like oh that's, yeah, that's a yeah. shame like you said no age really uh, the guy who's in The Lost Boys um, he died in 2015 
age 52 wow. as well. Um, the guy, Sam Flood is his name in the, the movie. Chuck McCann is the actor's name. Um, he died in 2018. Uh, he's the guy who offers uh, Josh Brolin a, like a sponsorship to, you know, oh, ride yeah. skateboards yeah. for the, you know, the shop or whatever. Uh, but he was 83. So, you know, Fair enough. A, bit, yeah. a bit different. Yeah. Uh, and then the director you mentioned, David Winters, um, he died in 2019, um, aged 80. So, um, you know, but uh, now, if you want to see a film where there are people dancing on skateboards, um, like literally dancing on them yeah. in a thrashing party, like where the Red Hot Chili Peppers are playing music, yeah, uh, then it. watch this film. This is it. Uh, if you want to see a film where uh, Josh Brolin and uh, Robert Rusler have a joust on skateboards, with uh, <laughs> oh my god, I'd forgotten that. It's swinging it's, around like a mace. What was on the end of the it's fucking like, mace? No, it's like it's like a if people think of a nunchuck, right? A set of nunchucks, but they've taken like the stick off one end, so it's like the handle of a nunchuck, then the chain. It's like a it's like a bean bag on the other. Because we were saying they're twitting themselves with bean bags as yeah. they're skating back and two against each other. Weird. S- somehow breaks Josh Brolin's arm with a bean bag. With a bean bag. <laughs> Yeah, Josh Brolin, who gets topless more times than Taylor Lautner does in the entire Twilight films. And he gets, believe me, having rewatched them, as you heard earlier, he gets topless a lot. Josh Brolin's always uh, always getting his nips out in this. That. So that's if that's a thing you want to see, there you go. It's all here, isn't it, mate? Yeah. If I'd have watched this as a kid, I'd have absolutely loved it. And I'd have gone out and tried to do skateboarding and done the same thing as you, like nearly broken our necks. Yeah. Um, but as it turns out, we watched BMX Bandits because that was the sort of age that we were at. Yeah. And we pretended that we were the BMX Bandits yeah. solving crimes, even though I never had a BMX. I had a grifter. <laughs> Sol- grifter. Solving crimes on your grifter. Oh, we, uh, did. we both gave um, this three stars on Letterboxd. So that, that was pretty decent. Yeah, it yeah. was above average for me. I yeah, like, same yeah, Tina didn't like it at all. Did she? she gave it half a star. She gave it. Why didn't she like it just out of interest? What I, was what I, was really? I know. have no idea. It, she just didn't take to it whatsoever. Whereas I thought, I thought it was fun. I thought it was a fun watch. Yes, yeah, definitely. Just, just take it at face value. Uh, let's move on to the next one. Is the next one going to be a fun watch? Your grandfather is a selfish old prick who resents taking care of his family. Uh, yeah. You all end up back here at my house. Welcome. Your only uncle. So I'm also your favorite uncle. Right? Maybe. <laughs> I have no idea how, but you are going to law school. So you can sue your father for child support. No, so he can help with your fines about the septic tank. No, here we go. Hey, whose kid is that? My sister. Which sister? The hot one or the crazy one? What, you want to die? <laughs> okay, two rules. I'm never going to let you win. And I'm going to always tell you the truth. Your father is deadbeat. I'll take care of you. Teach you the male sciences. I saw you in the yard playing sports. You're not very good. You know, find some other activities. I like to read. You read enough of those? Maybe. You could become a writer. One more thing, very important. Never hit a woman, even if she stabs you with scissors. Got it. See me and Julio down by the schoolyard. Got an announcement. 
Today, my nephew is officially a man. It is a great pleasure to offer you a place in the Yale class of 1986. Hey, I'm JR. Sydney, you're in my class. I doubt it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm on my way. So what do you want to be, JR? I'm going to be a writer. Well, what's your main theme? The absent father. Poor boy who wants a rich girl. She doesn't love you. What you do next is going to be important. Would you go and stare up at the building in the rain? Baby! No. Well, I'm on my way. I don't know where I'm going, and I'm on What are you gonna do without the bad guy in your life? In life, you gotta have it. If you don't have it, you never get it. And I say you got it. And there you go. That was the trailer for my pick, The Tender Bar, um, released um, last, well, 2021, but available on Amazon Prime at the moment. Uh, directed by George Clooney, of all people. Mm. Um, starring Ben Affleck, uh, Ty Sheridan, Christopher Lloyd. Um, <laughs> mentioned him earlier on. Those are the main actors that I recognise yeah. uh, that I've seen in other things. Um, this is based on a memoir by J.R. I'm not sure how this pronounce his surname. Uh, Moringer, I think is, I'd go with that. Um, Pulitzer Prize winner, writer. Um, and, uh, yeah, I don't know a great deal about him. I'll be perfectly honest. Uh, did you? No, no, not a thing. So, um, the synopsis so is an hour and 46 minutes. So not a massively long film. No. Um, this the synopsis is a boy growing up on Long Island seeks out father figures among the patrons at his uncle's bar. It's got a six point eight out of ten out of thirteen thousand reviews on IMDb. Uh, some of the uh, reviews on Metacritic, it's got a fifty three uh, based on forty critic reviews, so twelve positive, twenty five mixed, and three negative. Um, I'll very quickly take. One of the positives. So um, the top one, this is from Film Threat, whoever they are. Um, I like the tender bar for its simple story, story, excuse me, and fantastic performances. But honestly, it works best as a straight to streaming title as it hits familiar beats and feels small in scope. Clooney has concocted cinematic comfort food. Um, that's actually a positive. That's the most positive re- oh review. Um, it doesn't sound all that positive. Uh, so here we go. Empire Magazine. Um, what the tender bar lacks in dramatic heft and originality, it makes up for in warmth, geniality, and a clutch of great performances. Chiefly Ben Affleck, who turns a stock uncle character into a memorable mentor. And then one of the more negative ones, I'll go with RogerEbert.com. Um This is the same young man's coming-of-age story you've seen over and over. Nothing new has been added. The poster calls this a feel-good movie, but who is supposed to feel good here? Certainly not the average viewer who has seen this tired material so many times they can practically recite the dialogue. So um, I picked this because it's new and because it was very likely that you hadn't seen it. Um, (laughs) I generally like Ben Affleck, um, 
so uh, you know and, and find him watchable um george clooney you know the big name directed by him just looked at what he's directed in the past i don't think i've actually seen any of the other films that he's directed um but you know it's george clooney so um and yeah I, I knew nothing about the subject matter just knew that it was a new film i think i'd seen it advertised so i thought why not um so what did you think of this i thought it was i thought it was the very definition of mediocre uh with everything and even down to the direction by george clooney i think he's a good director but there's nothing that makes him stand out from the crowd as you know like an auteur or something oh yeah that was yeah that, that was definitely a clooney movie it's he you know as an actor himself he obviously knows how to get good performances from other actors and i'm sure he's really good on set and relates to actors really well and there's nothing wrong with the direction of the film but it's just all it's just it's just done well and there's nothing that really stands out as far as that side of it goes the story like you said in one of the reviews i think we've seen it all before done a lot better it was it's all told in a non-linear uh non-linear narrative which i'm i'm fine with uh but i thought that didn't help it's it's really bitty this this things happen and then it sort of goes nowhere there's one bit where ben affleck's character uncle charlie is in the hospital and i thought oh okay this is going to get a bit dark now he's going to die so you know this it's going to be that next minute he's out of the hospital he's all right and it's well okay so what was the big point of that really there was a lot of bits and bits mm. and and nothing and didn't seem to go anywhere and and characters were just a lot of just peripheral characters that i never really took to and i thought the whole the main story of 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 this jr who you see as a young boy and later on played by ty sheridan later on in life yeah okay we've all got dreams and everybody's dreams are different and but this he didn't it's you know we've seen films where people are chasing the dream oh my god the obstacles they've got to overcome now he'd got obstacles fair enough but they didn't they, dramatically they didn't seem that much when compared to other things there was a, one of the simple things that took me and tina out from the very beginning which and again it's 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 silly really but it took us out of the movie and that is when you see jr as as a young boy and you see his parents and he's got a ginger dad and a blonde mum and young JR is a dark haired and as Tina described him, he looks like he's half Italian, half Iranian. Yes. And you're yeah. thinking, well, hold on, you've got a ginger for a dad, <laughs> blood mum, you don't you know, it's, it's, what what's happened there? Are you adopted? Was you know is it the milkman's son? This, that, and the other. And then there wasn't a lot of, of likeness between him and Ty Sheridan going forward as well. But and I know it's a silly little thing, but silly little things can take you out of the film. You know, I've talked about you know Nitram and, and films like that, and Old Henry, where it's the characters that really drew me into it and got me invested in it. And it's just little things like that, little details that can just completely take me out of of a film from the beginning. I, it got better for me every time Ben Affleck was on the screen. 
and I I do like I do like him. I think he's I think he's a great director. I think he's a really good actor. Yes, this stuff that goes on, you know, gossips and stuff in his his personal life. But I always separate the art from the artist. And as far as him on screen goes, I think he's really good. And whenever he appeared on screen, I got that bit more invested. But I don't think he was used well in it. And I think that goes for all of it. I never, I never got into JR's plight for what he was after. I didn't care about it. It wouldn't have bothered me if, like we just, you know, making a joke about with thrashing. It wouldn't have bothered me if he got picked up by a truck driver and was horrifically murdered. It'd be, oh, okay, then. <laughs> That's how that finished, you know. Uh it says a lot when, we, when one of my favourite bits was Christopher Lloyd sat farting on a chair. <laughs> yeah, I'm seeing Doc Brown fart a lot. That was pretty fun. But yeah, Ben Affleck was the highlight for me um, as Uncle Charlie. And apart from apart from that, I never really got invested and didn't care about JR's, you know, his his dream that he was chasing. Did, mm. did, what was it like for you? Yeah, so I started off, you know, enjoying it to a certain degree but then i think like you said looking back at it it is very bitty you know because you get to see him as a little boy and then as he gets you know as he grows up and then he goes to college and then he gets a job and you know and it kind of flits in between all the different things you know it's dealing with his his absent father and you know uh, who's a piece of shit and you know he, he wants to have a relationship with him but uh his dad doesn't really want anything to do with him you know, and his mom struggles, uh, and they all live at the grandpa's house. And like you said, he's quite an eccentric, an eccentric character. So yeah, I quite like Christopher Lloyd in it. I think for me with Ben Affleck, and I couldn't quite put my finger on it. And like you said, it's about sometimes it it, it doesn't take a lot to take you out of a film because you end up noticing it, and it, mm. you th- you're not actually then watching the film. You're watching out for things that kind of take you away from yeah. the overall experience. Was when Ben Affleck is young and he's with the young JR, mm. there's something about the way that he's he his voice and the way it's almost like he try it's like he tries too hard with this kind of like cod, you know, Brooklyn, New York y type accent. There's just something I don't know what it was. There was just I know when he gets a bit when he's older, when it's older, Ben Affleck, you know, and and um you know, it's Ty Sheridan as JR. You think he tones it down a bit, but when, and maybe it's because he's, you know, he's young and he's cocky and he's, you know, whatever. And he's kind of like, that's kind of like, you know, but, and I'll get the, get the point that Tina was making about, you know, the young JR perhaps being like an Italian American almost, but cause I just, I kind of almost like got this feeling that, you know, uncle Charlie is going to go, Hey, kind of like this. Yeah. He does this. I don't know what it is, but when he's the young Charlie, I just, I just, there's something about him. And I was thinking, you know what it is that reminds me of it is when um, it reminded me of Out for Justice with Steven Seagal. <laughs> and Steven Seagal in that, you know, he, it's it's set in Brooklyn, I think it is. And, you know, he's a cop. And he, it's not, he puts on this accent, like it's too full on. Mm. There's too, it's too much for, for, you know, it's almost like he's imitating somebody that comes from Brooklyn and it just doesn't suit him. I, but any, that's, a, I suppose, a small thing, but I like the soundtrack. I think there's some good music in there. Oh, the, um, yeah. The, yeah. That is a good point, mate. The soundtrack. I love the soundtrack in it. That was good. Uh, it's not every day that you hear 
50 Ways to Leave Your Lover by Paul Simon in a song, in a, in a movie, sorry. Um, but, but and the, the thing for me was, what kind of film is it trying to be? Is it sort of straddles the line of a bit quirky, a, a bit, it's got some funny moments in it, um, you know, it's, uh, but then there's, I suppose, some darker moments. But I never really got that invested in the characters mm. to sort of care that much about them. Um you know, so, and it kind of reminded me a little bit of Rushmore. Uh, and, and again, it's like, well, you know, is it's, it's trying to be a little bit of a, a Wes Anderson type of film, but one of his earlier films, like I said, with Rushmore, which I really, really like um, about this young guy. And because the, th- the whole thing as well is quite a large section of the film where JR is coming to the terms with meeting a, a girl at college and, you know, trying to, develop a relationship but she is totally out of reach you know has has him for casual sex but then doesn't want a long-term relationship with him um and it's so there's a long period of the film where he's coming to terms with that and you know and i it just didn't like you said it didn't seem to go anywhere and i just Mm. thought well okay um so ultimately like you said i think it's very average um i think there's a good story to tell there but it just doesn't gel at mm. all for me, um, you know. And so I don't know whether it would have worked as perhaps a mini series, you know, so you can actually establish the yeah, characters yeah. and build because there's there's characters there. There's you know there's people in the bar uh, that you get to know a little bit about that that obviously you know want Jr. to succeed and Jr. knows them growing up and everything. So there's there's some stories to tell, but. Not that I, you know, I'm advocating for movies to be long, but it just, it doesn't seem to work for me. And like you said, scene where Uncle Charlie's in hospital, you don't even, well, do you even know why he's in hospital? He suggested that, has he got cancer? Yeah, yeah, I I took it that it was like throat cancer or lung cancer or something like that, because the next scene, it jumps forward and they're in the car and they're saying, oh, Uncle Charlie's, you know, he's just lit up a cigarette again. So I'm taking it it was something to do with him smoking. That's why he was in hospital. But it was just, there was there was no real, well, for me at least, you know, if anybody listening has watched the film and is going, no, you've completely missed the point of why he needs it. Please write and tell us what, you know, what we've missed. But there was a lot of scenes that to me were just, why bother with it? What's the point of, of that scene? Mm. It's not needed. Uh, and again, maybe it's because Ben Affleck's uh, inclusion in it, but I got a, you know, a goodwill hunting sort of vibe from it because, you know, it's a small town guy and, uh, or sorry, small town, you know, guy has clearly got some talent. Um, but the, the, you know, there's bits where he's just kind of pissing it away, just mm. in the bar, you know, getting drunk. Um, and instead of actually fulfilling his talent and, you know, he's, he's, uh, Ben Affleck has to watch him do this to a certain degree. Um, you know, so, yeah. And that again, that made me think. Well, I'd rather watch Goodwill Hunting. Yeah, yeah. So, same here. Yeah. You know, but yeah, not awful. I mean, I, I think I gave it two and a half. Yeah, which I think it's, is what you gave it. Yeah, we 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 agreed on both films. You know, score wise on that box, I give it two and a half to just well, mediocre. Which you think? I mean, if you think if you compare it to Thrashing, I mean, they're totally two separate movies, so it's yeah, apples yeah. and oranges. But at the same time, we gave Thrashing a slightly higher score, yeah. which is you know, uh, considering you know the the, the amount of quality uh, in terms of acting and budget and whatever that, that's kind of with the tender bar, you'd think well, we give that a better score. But I I, I found Thrashing more enjoyable. Um, this that's, was just very. Yeah. 
That's that's the thing, mate. And that's with Letterbox. People score differently on Letterbox. I score. I my all my star rating on Letterbox is how much I enjoy a film. So, example: Samurai Cop, five stars for me. I fucking love that film. Okay, if you're marking and comparing it, say to oh Tenet, I'll give you that one. Ten, there you go. So Tenet, yeah. Now Tenet. As, as a film, you know, superbly made, great sound design, great acting, amazing effect, blah, blah. You know, it's a really well-made film. Do we enjoy it? Did I enjoy watching it? No. No, I didn't enjoy it. I can't remember how many stars I gave it, but it was a lot less than Samurai Cop. Whereas other people, I know they they mark it, you know, how how good a film is, as in as a film, as opposed to I mark it how much I enjoy it. So that can be... People mark differently on, on Letterboxd too. But yeah, I definitely enjoyed Thrashing more than I did The Tender Bar. Yeah, so it, very average. Um, a little bit disappointing, really, to be honest with yeah, you. But, yeah, it was. Yeah, um, you know, there you go. Those were our picks. Oh, would I, so here's the question then. Would you recommend them? Because, they're, they're like I said, they're very different, you know. I think if... For people listening to this, if you also listen to the Decade of Decadence shows and know the films that me and Tom say, oh, yeah, that was good. Yeah, watch Thrashing and you'll get that silly 80s cheesy enjoyment out of it. Uh, if, if if you don't listen to those shows or you don't like that kind of stuff, no, you won't. So, And then with, oh, with the tender part, I don't know. I mean, it's, you know, it's well made and all of this. It's But... I wouldn't watch it again. I would, no, I wouldn't. Definitely not watch it again. Yeah, for me, I'd I'd recommend if you're going to watch something that similar, then watch Rushmore or watch Yeah, uh, Goodwill Hunting. Yeah, oh, those, yeah, you know. definitely. Yeah, 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 definitely watch those. And there we go, mate. We we finally got there. <laughs> we, we've caught up. We can go back to bi-monthly shows again now. We will endeavour to stick to our uh, bi-monthly show from now on. Unless unforeseen circumstances, obviously, but hopefully that won't happen. So we'll be back in a couple of months uh, with all the usual shizzle with what we've seen and everything. We're going to be recording again, mate, in just over 12 hours. Just thought I'd throw that out there. Uh, bloody hell. And I've got to do some reading because I haven't. <laughs> You've sent me some stuff <laughs> to read up on the, the person that we're going to be talking oh, to. And I, well, I haven't done anything. So This is it. The, the life of a podcaster. <laughs> Good fun. <laughs> uh you know people know by now 60mw.co.uk go there everything's on there the links to all of the different format shows that we do all the news all the reviews you can leave us a review on there that would be nice be the first person in 2022 to send us a review it's really easy to do uh just go to the website join in on the world tour that's all kicked off again if you don't know what that is go to 60mw.co.uk uh, go to the Meet the Team page because we talked about letterbox and the star ratings. People that are on there, uh, all the team's letterbox details are on there as our Twitter handles too. But if people want to follow you on Twitter, how can they do that, mate? Uh, I'm at Dastardly Jabby. And uh, send us a tweet at 60MW Podcast or send us an email at contact at 60MW.co.uk. Numerical 60, not alphabetical. And uh, we always respond on the show. And there we go. We'll be back in two months with another one. And we'll get ready to record with James Pax tomorrow afternoon now. Yeah, looking forward to it. And it's been great to see you. Like I said, it's I been nice for a change. Yeah. 
going to be able to see this and it means nothing to them. But uh, the first time we've done this, so I'm sure we'll do it again. Oh, definitely. We'll do it again. And uh, we shall be back, like I said, in two months. And I shall remember even to press the button for the music on the way out. So for me, it is goodbye. And for me, bye-bye. <laughs>